and welcome to another episode of <sighs> It's not over drinkers. It's not hot takes. It's not Cathode Raycast. It's not one of our many, many exclusive content features that you can purchase for $5 a month right over on our website at storyscreenbeacon.com. No, no. It is yet again that time to talk about a bunch of movies that really just made us just so like... Ooh, ooh, hot, ooh, spicy, so, so spicy, so spicy and hot, so good, so good. Uh, it's Story Screen's favorite movies of 2021, a very special episode. I am Mike Burge. I will be um, semi-hosting, corralling, is a better word, uh, this episode um, with all of your favorite Story Screen people talking about some of our favorite movies from the past year. Um, I am joined today by... Diana DeMuro. Hello. And Bernadette Gorman-White. Hi. As well as uh, the bi-spectacled. Oh, that Robbie. name down. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you did not. You chose poorly. Uh, no, I did it on purpose. Yeah. I'm a trickster. <laughs> An agent of chaos. I'm like Arthur Fleck. That's <laughs> uh, Jeff Kolajewski and Robbie Baby Anderson for the listeners, just so you know. <laughs> it's Jack, it Robbie, it Burn, it D, it the, Burge. These Here are we go. a few of my favorite things. Um, we've each, uh, if this is your first time listening to a best of episode or your first time listening to a story screen episode, uh, pretty much what we do is uh, we create uh, our top lists of the year. Every year we're releasing those right now. At the time of this recording, at the time of its posting, all of those lists will be available on StoryScreenBeacon.com, as well as a bunch of other lists from other members of the StoryScreen family. You can go check those out. Um, what we do is we pick uh, two movies off of each of our lists uh, that we're really interested in talking about. We organize them in a way that is extremely professional and took about three hours before we hit record on this, you know, so we, we really isolated it down. So it's going to be so much fun um to talk about and uh more importantly to listen to <laughs> you're gonna love listening to this it's gonna be one of your favorite podcasts of the year right at the beginning it's nuts it's good um before we get started did anybody else want to uh say anything at all uh before we mm -hmm. nah, man. having a sponge let's talk about some movies <laughs> That's it. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. All right. So first up, uh, Burn, you've got our first movie. What are we talking about? Yes, I do. From doing all of the other podcasts where we watch movies from all kinds of years, I almost started out saying this movie was released in 2021, but that just <laughs> seems very silly. Um, so mm -hmm. this is my favorite movie of the year. Uh, it was at the top of my list. It made it onto some of the other contributors list as well. Super fun movie. I'm talking about Zola or at Zola, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, her name is Zola, and she's a queen. She's a queen of Twitter. Um, it's based off of a real-life Twitter user, Zola Azera, uh, Azaria King, but her middle name is Zola. And uh, it's the saga of her going down to Florida to strip and dance uh, with this dancer that she had just met. And they're going down there to score some coin. And, of course, things go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, <laughs> this movie is Jenica Bravo's directorial debut. Um, she co-wrote it as well. Obviously, they had the tweets to base the screenplay off of. 
And this film was released by A24. And if you're into this movie, A24 also released the Zola tweets in book form, which is great. Um, but this movie stars Taylor Page and Riley Keough and Coleman Domingo. Those are like the main three. You also got Cousin Greg from, <laughs> from Succession. Uh, it's just a great movie. Uh, it's paced very well. It's very short. It's about an hour and a half. They get in, they get in and they get out. Um, this movie's bright. It's dark. It's funny. It's depressing. It kind of hits all of those notes that I really like to get into when it comes to movies. And yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was a treat. Thought it was great the first time. Recently rewatched it. Still stands up. But what did you guys think of Zola? Can I ask I, you, Bern? I, had, had you I loved it. Had, yeah. <laughs> had you seen the tweets before you saw the movie? Had anyone seen the tweets before they saw the movie? Because I had not. I had not. I had not. Yeah, I, was I had seen the tweets it. not when they were happening, but like it was like it became an urban legend, right. and you just like you can find them all just like written up on like some kind of, you know, not Buzzfeed, but it was something similar to that. And it's like heard about this? Well, you can read it all right here. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I I was tracking it when the tweets had come out back in 2015, and then originally James Franco was attached to direct, and I'm glad oh, yeah. that fell through. I forgot about that. Yeah. I am glad that fell through. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, but, could see, uh, I could but, see a Harmony yeah. Corinne doing it. Yes. That would have been an interesting take. But, I mean, not that far off with the actual movie that we got from, like, a, a Spring Breakers kind of like vibe, at least. That's true. For sure. And, I mean, like, Safety Brothers are kind of, like, you know, tacking into the vibe that I think Zola gives off. But I thought it was cool that Janik Sabravo came out and got to direct this movie and co-write it because she's also a, a woman of color. So it was totally. really like women doing it for women, which was really yeah. cool. Yeah, I think especially given the um, middle chunk of the movie, I think having like... The part with all the with dicks. sex workers? Uh, the, dealing with dealing with all of the sex work, yeah. but also just the interrelationships between these um, between the two main characters, sure. who are both women, and the relationship that women can have with one another. Not even specifically in the kind of line of work that they're doing, but just like how they communicate to each other and how they trust one another in certain situations that men are also involved. Having a woman just kind of at the helm of that allows for way less eye rolls, at least from me, like when I'm watching it, where you're just like, you know, a, a man could have done the exact same stuff that she did in this movie where I would have been like, what's the intentionality of that? What are you trying to do here? Whereas mm. when it's a woman doing it, you are just like, I am in on this joke. I understand kind of where you're coming from with all of this and how you're attacking it. And it also just gives this level of uh, credibility is a bad word, but you know what I mean by that, where it's just like there's something just a little bit more legitimate in it, where you're just like, I, I think that these characters, I feel like these characters are a little bit more realistic and in touch with reality even with all the heightened kind of reality stuff that's going on, like all the different swaps over in narration and all of that different stuff. Like it, it just, uh, it worked for me. Feels more genuine. Genuine's a good word. There we go. Yeah. What I really loved about this movie was how they addressed social media, Twitter, all the like notification sounds, you know, like I feel like one of the movies that 
first did something not the same but similar is like Scott Pilgrim, like that idea mm. of integrating the sound effects and the visuals of a video game into the movie. This this was sort of like that version for Twitter for me, where it like wasn't too over the top, but it made it, you know, agitating. And the sound effects were like part of the soundtrack to it, which was really cool. I thought that was just like a, a really well done. It could have been like too much and annoying, but it wasn't. It was very cool. Yeah, I feel like the the sound effect of the the whistle, the Twitter whistle. Oh like, yeah, I'm not too familiar with that because like I've only had Twitter for a few years and I'm not that great at it. Uh, so I don't get a lot of <laughs> I don't get a lot of those. And also, my phone is almost always on silent. I, you have to be a true just, boy, true you psychopath. You just started following me like a couple I of just days ago. I wasn't following oh, Diana. Geez, that's your own problem. I'm not on there. I'm not on there. <laughs> But uh, it's it's funny that it's it keep the tweet sound keeps coming up now, and when I hear it, I don't think of Twitter. I think of Zola. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I think because I think it's utilized so much it, so well. You got to be a real sicko to walk around with like your phone notifications on loud all the time. Like who? Do, <laughs> come on, who does that? Oh, big Michael. time. <laughs> yeah, I also love that you're talking about how it relates to social media because yeah. that also just helps keep the pace of the story at like a pretty breakneck pace because this story and especially just social media in general obviously has the tendency to just be swipe culture so you're not supposed to linger on something for very long and so this movie does a good job of emulating that within the film itself especially like you said when it changes kind of like the narration for a little bit how it kind of drops on a dime going from very scary to very funny they just kind of understood exactly how brains work now because we're all so used the range. to operating yeah. in social media. <laughs> yes, very much so. This movie Speaking has great. Of scary. Oh man. Oh sorry. You go ahead. I Jack. was just gonna say it has great like freak energy all the way through. Yes. Like in every way that I really appreciated. I was- I was like, speaking of scary, can we talk about Coleman Domingo as Mr. X? He's like fucking terrifying and awesome. When he swaps accents, it's like, oh, fuck. Okay, this guy's yeah. not screwing around. No, he's, uh, you're he's like, no, scar- no, 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 no. He's even scarier in the actual tweets. Right? But he's, oh, yeah, he's like shit. a fucking, like, they, he's toned down in the movie, which is kind of oh, crazy. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, Zolo's uh, a really, really good movie. Uh, It was one that um, I think out of uh, all these, only one movie we didn't screen at Story Screen Beacon Theater, which is kind of cool. We did. We showed. We showed it. That's right. No, no, we showed Zola. I'm saying out of all the movies Uh, we're about to talk about tonight, only one we didn't because one got dropped directly to a streamer. Yeah. And uh, so it's like it's it's it, it was like it was really fun, like getting to see people coming out of certain movies and seeing how they're reacting, you know, like some movies that we're going to talk about, some people came out and they were all crying and some movies <laughs> people sorry, came out of and they were just I'm like, I'm just thinking of, of the... me being like that at the theater. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Or like some people. And I feel like everybody that I saw coming out of Zola was just like, that was cool. That was cool time. That was really cool. <laughs> Except for, uh, I think Burn, and I think that you were working that night too. When uh, someone walked out like halfway through, and they were just like, "You know what? Just not for me right now. Not into it." And left. And 
I, I like looked at the time code on it and it was right around um, the montage scene. Let's not say. To, the montage scene <laughs> the swipe in scene. the hotel room. Yeah, to not get too spoilery because again, like yeah. I didn't say this at the top, but we will try to be as little spoilers as possible in this while we talk about stuff. But uh, yeah, I could see that being a scene where somebody was like, you know, I didn't sign up for this. So yeah, I'm I just going to. That is one of the leave. weirdest dicks I've ever seen. So, I mean. <laughs> yes. Agreed. I've seen weirder. I said one um, of. Well, it's not a competition, Bird. I've seen like fifty dicks weirder than that. Uh, in the na- in the navy. Yeah, exactly, that's true. I forgot about I that. Wasn't lying. I wasn't yeah. joking. Um, does anybody else have anything to say on Zola before we move on? Burn, do you have any closing thoughts? Just if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, uh, Diana. What movie are we talking about next? Okay. Uh, This might be a bit of a cheat because in reality, it didn't make my top 10. It was my honorable mention, but it made Mike's top 10. And I thought it was worth mentioning was Minari, another A24 joint that I watched during the sad times in the early part of 2021. Um, at home as one of the like options of of renting it at home to support the theaters and the and the studios and it's still held up and now that in hindsight when I rewatched it I was like oh I probably should have put it actually in my top 10 because I enjoyed it that much um so if you haven't seen it it the premise is Korean American family moving to Arkansas to essentially start a farm and the American dream and it's during the 80s um, and it's got one of the best grandmas I think there's ever been in a movie, and she's my fave, and she made me miss my grandma. So that's that's a good incentive right there to to go watch the movie. It's got a beautiful soundtrack. That's probably like one of the, the film scores that I've listened to the most this year. Um, and it's also just like a very beautiful, maybe like a little slow at times, but in a thoughtful way. I never found it boring. So, yeah, that was yeah. one of the the first uh, screening room movies, right? Yeah. That Storystream did with A twenty four. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, it was also like that was like really one of the first massively distributed virtual screenings. Like they were like, we're gonna yeah. release this virtually to try and share this movie with everybody who can't make it to the theaters to go see it, and it was able to release in a couple theaters, which made it eligible for awards season. It's 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 a lot like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire all over right. again. Yeah, where it's like right. we all watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire in February of 2020. Um, and that was my fave. And Jack's too. It's yeah. just you yeah, go, it's so you go a whole year, and then it's just like it's still really good. And that was like it, it was like Minari and Nomadland and Judas and the Black Messiah were like these movies that they got a lot of buzz, and we talked about them a lot, like when they first came out around award season and everything. And then it's just like. 2021 was a really good year. So yeah, like stuff. it's just yeah. like there's like a lot of uh, and this year more than most like a lot of really big populous stuff. Like a lot of like really good big blockbusters from major studios where you're just like that's actually a really good movie. Uh congratulations everybody and Ah, uh, Speederman. Yeah, we don't have to be these like little snobs that are just like, "Oh, have you heard of uh, Bleecker Street? Uh they make really good movies." Hey, they do. I remember when <laughs> they do. when that yeah, that time of year, like Minari and Judas and the Black Messiah were out like right around the same time. Thinking like, 
those are really fucking good movies. Those are going to be top, hard to top this year, but kind of anti-recency bias. I think if maybe I had gone back and rewatched either of those two, they might have gone onto my list. They were in my top 20, but not my top 10. That's the hard part is that a lot of times I don't have the time to revisit some of these films yeah. at the very end of the year that were. And so the things that are freshest in your mind are always kind of dear to you but yeah on rewatch i feel like this one really held up um i like kind of just the the it is an immigrant story but it's also like very much um just like a regular regardless of nationality family story so i like that and it's also kind of that relationship um of trying to make it regardless of what job or, you know, dream or occupation that is. And so, like, Steven Yeun is so good. He's so good. Yeah. yeah. I just want all the movies. The Humans, also good. Like, I want all the movies. Mm-hmm. Just keep keep making movies, man. You're doing good. <laughs> yeah, I usually, granted, this year it shouldn't have been held against them because things were so weird release-wise. But, yeah, I tend to kind of hold a grudge on films that come out in, like, Oscar bait season. Because it's like, have the balls to release it midsummer and just see if you're still memorable come Oscar nomination season. You know, yeah. so usually I have a hard time with these like prestige movies that come out, you know, January and February. And I, Minari isn't necessarily a prestige film. But yeah, sometimes I do tend to forget about them or choose to forget about them when it comes to writing a top 10. Uh just for spite reasons. But um Minari definitely shouldn't have fallen into that. And yeah, I agree. The movie is so quiet. It's such like a quiet, beautiful movie. It's not striving to be anything it's not. It feels very pure. Yeah, that's like the the it's it's such a delicate little movie. Like it's just like, you know, you 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 people call movies like it's a warm hug or or oh, it's a nice cozy blanket of a of a movie and it's like Minari very much is that type of thing. It, it really is this kind of comforting, but not overly unrealistically optimistic kind yeah. of thing. Like that's it, why I liked it's, it. It's still pointing out like, you know, it's a movie it, it like, uh, you know, it's a movie that's about like four or five different things as all great movies should be. And one of those things is about like the hustle of like the American dream. And regardless of who you are, and how good you are at what you want, what you want to do, it's really hard. Or how to hard do you work. Just about yeah. anything, and there's never going to be any absolute victories. Like you, it's just always going to be, you know, something bad is going to happen eventually, no matter how good things are getting right now. And the movie kind of just kind of personifies that in all of the different. Uh, family members of just like how good things can be and how things can change inadvertently out of nowhere. And that also is part of what the American dream kind of is, is that things are constantly changing and things are always going to be kind of in motion and you have to try and keep up. And some people cannot, regardless of how much they deserve to or how hard they work, like Jack said, like it's, it's just... It's a machine, and it's as beautiful as it is kind of very scary. Heartbreaking, yeah. Yeah, cold. Yeah, plus I, lo- I love, like, the um, 
you know, like the dichotomy of the the youngest kid being like wanting the very American things and being like, grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> you know, like just like being a little asshole. But then later on, kind of appreciating certain things when it's a little too late. But at the same time, it's not totally lost on him. So that's sort of the point is like you have to have these bittersweet moments where it doesn't always totally work out for the whole family. But there is uh, some kind of catharsis or or purpose for the shit that they went through, which is awesome. So that sort of antagonistic way too much. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of antagonistic yeah. relationship between the youngest kid and the grandma is so funny and so sweet I love and so it. Uh, tragic for certain reasons but yeah yeah strong boy and she's like i'm handsome you know <laughs> it's so good uh so good <laughs> i also grew up with like a very not grandma like grandma my mom's mom was very young for a grandma so she was like a card player a smoker a drinker a swearer she like was a lead foot grandma um we were kind of scared of her sometimes because she had a really bad temper but she was very funny so i i definitely uh kind of attached myself to the grandma minari for sure this was a good good experience good character (laughs) yeah it's kind of fun when a character can just be a person and not be defined by their title especially generational yeah it's good Anybody else got anything on Minari before we uh, finish up? Robbie? I like I like Minari a lot. Yeah, it came out, you know, or I saw it very early on in the year. Um, and I think like, Minari and, and movies like Judas and the Black Messiah are like, they're not like baby top 10 movies. They didn't make it on my list, but they're like, they're like undeniably some of the best movies of the year. You know, like one of the things I always say when I write my list, it's like, it's not my it's not the best movies of the year. It's like my favorite, like personal taste movies of the year. But Minari's like easily like one of the best movies of this year. Same with Judas. It's like the the year that Roma came out, it didn't make it on my list, but like Roma is like easily one of the best movies like ever made. Um, so it's like, yeah, you cannot, you cannot deny like just like how good a movie like Minari is. And like, you know, as much as it's commenting on things like the American dream and, and being an immigrant, it's just like, it's so genuine because it's true. You know, it's it's written directed by someone who who lived this, and and he put so much of himself in the movie that it's like obvious to see. So yeah, I mean, Minari slaps, slaps. It was a good movie, <laughs> uh, pretty good movie, pretty. It's yeah, that's all right. I would say, I would say. Um, all right, so uh, next up, uh, it's me. I'm talking about a movie. Uh, I would like to talk about uh, the movie Pig. Oink, oink. Um, Pig was uh, one of those movies that I saw. Like the first time I saw it, I was just blown away by it. Um, and it uh, it ended up being my number one movie of the year, uh, which was very surprising to me uh, because I thought I had a couple movies that were surefire locks as to be like my number one. And then as I started rewatching things and seeing other things and like kind of moving things around and my, my list started formulating, I just kind of realized that pig was the movie that I had the, the most to say 
about and uh, on and had like the most like connection with and the one movie that like when I rewatched it the second time I was like I would watch this again right now if it wasn't three o'clock in the morning and I need to go to bed um pig is uh if you don't know it is a movie that stars your boy Nicolas Cage and he is acting and um <laughs> For those that maybe haven't seen Pig, but they saw the trailer, Pig is that movie that looked like it was John Wick, only with a pig instead, and Nicolas Cage. And that is very much not what the movie is, while same, simultaneously very much what the movie is. Um, it's, it's, it is a movie that is kind of playing in the revenge thriller genre, like the action revenge thriller genre, um, without actually committing to certain tropes like specifics that that genre does but like following with the tropes and it also has tropes from like four other genres inside of it that it's all doing and it, it's it's in a it's an immensely beautiful film um it's very hard to think about how to explain what's so beautiful about this movie to someone who hasn't seen it so i hope anybody listening uh, has seen it because then like they're kind of probably nodding the same way that you guys are as I, <laughs> I, I'm kind of talking about um, what's so special about the movie. Uh, but ultimately the thing that I found the most, um, the most like insatiably uh, dreamlike with the movie was the way that it deals with working in uh, the restaurant industry and primarily back of house and working in kitchens. I've worked, I worked in kitchens for many, many years um, towards the beginning of story screens days, like with the pop-ups working in kitchens and as a bartender and as a server was how I made money to be able to do all of that stuff. And so I made a lot of friends along the way who work in kitchens and do these things. And, uh, it's like, a it's, it's, it's a very bad lifestyle. Yeah, it's they very, destroy themselves. It's very grueling. Um, it's very rewarding, but it also at the same time, it has like its own laws and rules, which, you know, come down to like specifics of like ordering and distribution and how things need to be quantified and maintained and profit margins and stuff like that. And, all of these things that are so intricate to working in that industry, Pig uses all of those. They use reps as main characters like of food distributors and they use customers as like this other force and stuff. And it's just it's all around the movie just has so much to offer me specifically and what I've gone through. But also just it looks great. It looks so good. Yeah, one think, of my favorite. Oh, go ahead, Jack. Oh, uh, you can go for that. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to touch on really quickly that Pig didn't make my best of list, but I did like it. Um, but what my favorite part about the film was how they really highlighted how impersonal the dining experience has become because of the mm -hmm. advent of social media. I think totally. That is probably one of my least favorite things about social media right now is restaurants trying to out-trend each other and out-like Instagram filter each other. And then when you go to the place, like you almost feel like you're not even there at the place unless you've posted about it online. And 
that whole thing just really bums me out. And people forget that there's a human in the kitchen making the food for you, sharing an experience with you. And I feel like that's lost a lot right now in like the tag us on Instagram type of phase that we're in. So I really liked how there was a juxtaposition between Nick Cage's character talking to two different people. One, the chef that he remembered because he has a great memory. And David Nell. Mm-hmm. He's so good. That and scene then, is so good. It's very good. <laughs> and then the scene where he's talking to another woman in a bakery. And that just feels so like real. And they're seeing each other for who they are. But meanwhile, the David Nell character, he feels like he hasn't been seen in years because of that hustle. And yeah, that was probably my favorite part of the movie was really dissecting that. And very smart to put it in Portland because Portland's a very hip and trendy place. And... I think we know that Beacon's a pretty hip and trendy place. And sometimes we see a lot of those same kind of issues that I have, you know, also taking place in places that we're pretty familiar with. And I really liked that the movie highlighted that and said, like, there are people here. It's not just like a photo to post online. I also love the idea of that chef, like the whole idea of compromising your personal values or what makes you truly happy in order to succeed. And I think the restaurant industry is a great example of that, but it happens in tons of other jobs, being creative, drawing, film, all kinds of shit that you do need to make money. You do like being popular. Um, And so that idea of like, whatever your initial passion and vision was supposed to be, that that may not be what you're doing now. And then when those people succeed, we celebrate them for it. But if they were doing what they loved and they failed, we were like, meh, whatever, they failed. They weren't that great. So I love that aspect of the storytelling and kind of just like Nicolas Cage putting a spotlight on that and that scene with the other chef is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I- also... Oh, yeah. go ahead, Burn. Finish. No, no, no. Um, uh, yeah, Diana. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it it struck me as, you know, framing it through the culinary world, but definitely commenting, like you were saying, Diana, kind of just on art as like broadly. Um, and how, you know, like you were saying, Burn, like it's kind of become depersonalized in a lot of ways. Um, and also how you can kind of lose yourself in the pursuit of art. I think that is kind of one of the main things that Nicholas Cage's character is kind of struggling with it or or caused him to kind of step away from that pursuit because when you know the movie starts he's exiled himself and he gets pig stolen and that's what kind of brings him back into this world um and I think it's funny Mike what you you know what you said about if you've just seen the trailer it kind of does seem like and I remember a lot of people talking about it this way like oh yeah it's it's John Wick except it's with Nick Cage and with a pig Um, but it almost like in, in being a revenge thriller kind of in that way, it's kind of like the anti John wick. I feel like, cause it is, it uses violence in a completely different way than those other revenge movies where, you know, normally you're, you're used to seeing that, that main character go out and inflict violence on all the people who have wronged him. And really like most of the time, all the violence that's happening in this movie is being directly inflicted on okay. Nick Cage's character. He's worked totally. a job where he can take a beating. Yeah, He is it, taking it, a beating. Except <laughs> for the scene where he talks to that chef where he's not violent yeah. per se, but I have never no. seen, at least in the year 2021, I don't think I saw a man as thoroughly destroyed 
as Nick yeah. Cage did to that <laughs> Because that's the other thing, too, is, like, you can think that you're hot shit in a kitchen no matter how many years you've been in it, but, like, there's always that one person that can say something to you that's just going to completely cut you. Well, and I think it's, that- it's the idea of just, like, that one person that you respect being, like, explain it. Well, explain it to me. And if you're faking it and you can't explain it, right. like, cause you're just like, it's trying to explain why you did something for money to like someone who's an artist that you respect. They're going to see right through it immediately. Exactly. It's that kind of losing, you know, your initial passion and pursuit of that art to, to, to go after something that will make you money or will be successful or even just be trendy. Um, so for him to just be like, is this, this is really what you wanted? Like, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was powerful and i i think you know not to spoiler it not to spoil it but there's another scene kind of near like the climax of the movie where he does kind of confront the the main person who has wronged him and instead of you know putting two bullets in his uh chest and then one in his head john wick style he cooks this amazing meal and it's such a powerful scene that like i think that was one of the like the most moving scenes i saw the, this the, year the power yeah. of sharing yeah. food yeah it's like it's, it's also that and it's also just like your sense memory and dealing with grief, yes. you know, and yep. it's like this whole movie is dealing with grief, whether it's with the pig, with other characters that people have lost. Um, shout out career. to Alex Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. your career. Alex Wolf in this I was just like, man, you are making all the right choices, Alex For Wolf. Sure. Keep doing it. You know, shout out. Um, old. Just like, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Zola did not make it on Burge's list, but Old did. Old. Oh, <laughs> best movies of the year. I get it. It's, yeah. it's a great movie. It's talking yeah. about mortality. So funny. Calm down. And I'm I'm um, a I'm a noted Shyamalan hater, and I liked Old oh, a lot. I enjoyed good. Old. Good goddamn movie. It's good. Ex, ex, excellent taste, Jack. Um, um, but uh, but but by that same regard, I I do want to also talk about Nick Cage's character as well because it it was really striking. Um, to see him finally i mean he's had other roles that have done this but definitely in recent roles you know we're used to seeing more so like the mandy where he just kind of goes bonkers and he's great in that as well but this is such a a reserved and like introspective and quiet role that i i think he also just fucking nails that yeah so good it's good it's like i i said in my write-up it's like it kind of has like these essences of leaving las vegas from like you know over 20 years ago where it's like that's his academy award nomination where it's just like this kind of intimate sadness that you can see in these moments but then you also in leaving las vegas you get your you know you get your you know you get your crazy nicholas cage who just like screams every now and then i'm a vampire you really you really (laughs) don't get that in this movie and it's that's interesting for him to make that choice at like this stage in his career it's interesting that that's like what he's not going on right yeah. Was that right? Uh, I think that I read an article saying that he was very inspired by like uh, Kabuki theater, and yeah. I feel like there's like a lot of moments in the movie where you can kind of see like where he's experiencing extreme sadness. You can kind of like see the the through lines of like that type of like theater happening. Um, I I I like thinking about this movie in context to John Wick because um, I think it's a really fun juxtaposition. But I think one of the things that is like so like kind of like a direct through line is the way that he engages with like uh the community of chefs from the area where it's like like how john wick has to go back into the world of assassins 
totally. and he brings all these like tokens and things and people were just like oh you working again it's kind of <laughs> like you know like yeah, Nick Cage has to like go to these places yeah right. everyone's like everyone's like is he working again he's back he's, he's back. like you know yeah. he's legendary he has to go to like all these like kind of like you know a secret from from the world of the consumer like back alley places and i think that's also very interesting i i think it's my number two movie of the year um that is pig and, and green knight as my one and two and like i had very like uh special theater experiences with those movies and they mean like the world to me i, I really like pig is just like one of the most like gentle tender movies that will have you on the edge of your seat i think that's ever yeah. been made yeah and um we, uh we'll wrap up on pig real quick and the last thing i wanted to say on what you just said robbie is uh like the whole john wick aspect of it of like chefs knowing his name and the distributors and stuff like that like it, yes it's heightened in the movie but that's kind of how it is like it's the yeah. chefs know each other yeah, and distributors know each other sure. and it's like if you drop a person's name it kind of means something and but it means something because like you better have permission to use that person's name because if you just try like I've been in situations like that, like with having to go pick up like certain pigs and rabbits to like, like go butcher. And it's just like, well, you wait, you're with who? Because we only give this to that. And it's like, uh, wait, what? What the hell is this? And it, it's it's a really intense yeah. life. And like, I'm just very small town beacon right around New York city kind of exposed to it. So I can only imagine something as massive as Portland would be even just more intricate. So while it's definitely heightened for like cinematic value, it is kind of a lot like that, which kind of makes it the real world, John wick, which yeah, also I kind mean, of makes it the real world, like assassins culture, probably that, that exists. <laughs> well, there's also you can... the real life underground fighting rings in the culinary institute. Yeah. In yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah. I mean, if you like, you know, think about the biggest chefs in the world and their many TV series, you know, you can surmise totally. what the what the not stage life of them is like and like the shit they get into or say about one another or do whatever behind the the scenes of like the culinary world or like behind the scenes of your top chef, master chef and whatever. Like, you know, I bet you there's just like beef, pun intended. Hell Beef yeah. pun intended. Good, good for you. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm, so fucking, I'm so proud of you right now. Thanks, man. Mark Marin interviewed the guy, and I'm gonna blank on the name. I think it's Momofuku. He mm -hmm. interviewed that yeah. guy who started that. Oh, chain, David Chen. City. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they compared the the life of a chef very similar to the life of a comedian, where it's just late nights, lots of drugs, yeah. drugs, pretty, pretty <laughs> yes. hard edged. So yeah. yeah, I mean, those worlds definitely collide. I know the scary yeah. like career server in me till the last few years has always like been working with various chefs and yeah. su supporting, enabling their habits so that they can make the magic happen for the customers is kind of a terrifying thing. But yeah. I was a server that's for like eight months. I did so many drugs. It's like, why is that? <laughs> why is I it mean, like that? That's where that. Uh, that's I where did, that but I poured them and gave them to people. So yeah, yeah. yeah. that's where that <laughs> Zen comes from. It's yeah. like you've been through the shit, man. Like yeah. Yeah, this shit don't matter. Yeah. you can keep your kind of cool on that yep um so moving on uh we're going to jack jack lighten it up man like we're talking about all these i got a pretty light breezy fun <laughs> one i think uh it's the matrix resurrections <gasps> no you did yeah they did it they resurrected the matrix 
Yeah, I, it's it's crazy to me to think that they made a fourth Matrix movie and it came out in twenty twenty one. Like Mike, you and I have talked at length about the Matrix. Uh, we did that mm-hmm. Over Drinkers episode together, and uh, mm-hmm. the Matrix is definitely a movie that you know when I was younger I saw and it blew my little fucking eleven year old mind, twelve year old mind, whatever. Um, <laughs> and you know it stuck with me, and I think it's a series that. Um, o- over time is only kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of themes and sort of the ideas that it was bringing forth, like at the time and, you know, 1999 were ahead of the curve to begin with. And I think like those, those themes have only matured over time. And I went back and rewatched all the matrix stuff. I even, I went deep. I even played some of the, the PS2 game, uh, not all of it, but, um, and you know, seeing the, the entire trilogy, and the Animatrix and then going to see Resurrections this year was just such a fun time for me to like go back and really revisit those movies. Um, I still think the first Matrix is a, is close to a perfect movie as you can get pretty much. Agreed. That movie is fucking airtight. Name me Toast. a perfecter movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Reloaded also rules. And then there's um, uh, Revolutions. And uh, I was, you know, I went into Resurrections, like not really knowing what to expect with one of these like legacy movies. You know, sometimes you get something like Twin Peaks, The Return, and then sometimes you get Space Jam 2. Uh, And considering (laughs) that Space Jam 2 came out this year and was also a Warner Brothers property and also honestly probably shares a lot in common with with what the Matrix Resurrections is doing in some funny ways. Um, I, I was, you know, let's say I was cautiously optimistic as like a diehard Matrix fan going in, but... I was totally just blown away with everything that Resurrections does. I think, you know, it it opens with the same kind of air of mystery and confusion that the original, I think, really nails. Like, if you go back and and try watching the original and give yourself the brain exercise of, like, what if you went into this completely cold and did not know what the fuck is happening? Like, it goes from a dude working in an office – Within 45 minutes, he's learning Kung Fu and like all of a sudden, oh, oops, actually, this is a, this is going to be a Kung Fu movie for a little while now. And I think that the new one, like, you know, with what it does with Neo and how it kind of reframes, you know, being put back in the Matrix um, creates that that air of mystery again. And then from there, you know, a lot of, you know, it's been discussed a lot, I think, around this movie, but the Wachowskis were both pre-transition when the original matrix trilogy comes out like they still haven't even gone back and and changed their names on the credits which is maybe one thing but um to have this movie come out now that that lana has been transitioned and is like you know lived with that transition for a long time it's very interesting thematically to see how some of those ideas have kind of matured and changed and it's a movie about you know being older and and learning to live with yourself and also you know, reflecting and reminiscing. And I think as just like a legacy movie, it has so many ideas built into it that I think are all, you know, pulled off so well and dynamic and interesting. And also just as like a Matrix nerd, like there's some cool lore shit in there that I fucking love. Totally. Like there's sections (laughs) that... Yeah, there's some... And just like, you know, going back to, you know, talking about Zion and what happened to Morpheus and like, you know, stuff that exists only exists in lore that happened in the matrix online but is still maintained as canon like all that shit for me was just like i i loved it um i think it's a uh a uh a 
definite fair criticism to say that maybe it doesn't hold up to the action of the original series. But I also think it's a movie that's way less interested in that. Um, and yeah. for me, yeah. that is, you know, I, I like I like those ideas more than the kicks and punches and stuff, you know. So. Yeah, it's I think I feel like that is like so easily intentional when you just look at the progression of like the Wachowski's career or even just Lana in particular. It's just like her semblances when she was in her mid twenties, when she made the matrix, right? She was in her mid twenties, like boom, boom, pop, pop out. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like 25 years later now. It's like, she's, she's got bigger fish to fry. She made cloud Atlas. Yeah. Yeah. There's also plenty of cool action in this movie. (laughs) Like I I would say the Jessica Henwick character like pulls off a lot of the crazy shit that Carrie Ann Moss would have pulled off in the earlier movies. So I like the idea that they are older, you know, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are older, but they're still doing cool stunts. But it is like looking at it through this lens of them being older and not totally remembering who they are, which is a cool way to look at it. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody jokes about how ageless Keanu Reeves is and looks back at those those meme photos of the paintings from like the 1800s and said, that looks a lot like Keanu Reeves. Maybe he's a vampire. But like <laughs> this movie is, I think, one of the first times I've really seen Keanu Reeves and thought like, OK, he looks old here, especially like you mm. know later in the movie mm. when, let's say, his hair and facial hair change. Um, totally. It really does, I think, linger on kind of how he has aged um, and. Yeah, there's so much uh, like to dig into this movie that I don't think I could do spoiler free, but I just love how it kind of it it is like very meta and kind of on the nose about a lot of that stuff, but it it weaves that into the bigger story that it's it's trying to tell and it all also culminates in in something that I think is like the at most core like best aspect of the matrix is just the the pure like love and romance and kind of hopefulness of it yeah um and the way that it ends like it kind of i think retcons a little bit of maybe the matrix uh revolutions kind of ending especially between neo and trinity and like i was so happy to see like it end on let's say a much brighter note than than totally yeah man yeah well yeah i really like what they do with prophecy and since i was raised religious um the whole like messiah idea is very interesting and i liked how the original trilogy was already playing with that and then this film kind of recontextualized that which is very cool um because yeah. I, I recently yeah i rewatched the entire trilogy leading up to um watching this one probably Hell the same yeah. as you like <laughs> maybe days before watching yep. the new, new pretty film. much the week before was all matrix for me exactly <laughs> Anytime yeah, also, anybody watches Reloaded, I'm into it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Great anytime. movie. Great movie. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I also studied when I was in undergrad, I studied uh, how films were marketed. And I took a course about marketing films. And what I found so interesting reading about the original Matrix trilogy is that they were marketing film in a way that was completely immersive mm-hmm. back at the, the time. ARG. Where they would have a ringing phone booth, they would have like a number in the paper, you'd go and find out where that phone booth is, you'd pick up the phone, you'd get invited That's to so like a cool. party. <laughs> it was so, what so is cool. Matrix.com? Exactly. Yeah. And so they have an understanding of how the world works both within the film and how it works and plays in reality, which I think is super impressive. 
And I found that very compelling going into this film as well, because obviously she used her life experience going into it to contextualize what the film was going to say, which I think is great. But Mm. I also had the thought when I was watching the original trilogy again, thinking like, how cool is it that women made this film? And how unfortunately at the time, if they were already out and transitioned, it might not have been made. So I really liked that the fact that in the film Resurrections, like they make the comment like, well, Warner Brothers says they're making it anyway, whether we're here or not. Yeah. yeah. And and how yeah. Lana was like, all right, well, then I'm going to I'm gonna fuck your shit up by making this movie right. really weird. That's the coolest yeah. Yeah. Really cool. thing where it's like she's literally I we were all a lot of us were there at like the pre-screening at story screen, like where we got to watch it all like a couple days early because we're super cool people that deserve it. And like when the Warner Brothers line happened, like this happens like 10 minutes into the movie. I don't think it's a major spoiler, Mm -hmm. but it's like when that Warner Brothers line happens, you're just like, how did she get away with this? And what else is she going to do? Like from that point on, I have been on the edge of a seat that I didn't even know existed while watching a movie where I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, and it's so cool. In that way, it feels like, you know, this movie is like, Lana reckoning with herself and the matrix and the legacy of the matrix in all those ways. And like part of it, you know, I think the scene I've heard a lot of discussion about the scene where like they're Neo's sitting in the boardroom and all these different people are telling him what the matrix is. And you can just feel like Lana's direct hand in there, like going through, probably going through the process of like, we're going to make another fucking matrix movie. Either you're on board or you're not. And then having to sit there and listen to a bunch of people, tell her what the matrix is and for her to just like make this movie where she's like the matrix is mine like and i think a cool thing about the matrix that's there in the movie and is kind of represented in that scene is it is kind of like a reflection pool like i think you bring a lot of yourself to your interpretations of the themes and and the the story bits of the matrix but like this movie so much just feels like lana saying this is my movie and i'm gonna make this how i want it to be um, and that rocks for a movie that that has totally. a budget this big in 2021 that fucking rules and when i saw stories about like oh the matrix uh, resurrections was a total flop at the box office and they're definitely not going to make another one of these i was thinking mission accomplished lana you did good great cool my hope is that they make a video game i think that would be cool um, I hope they make two more of these exactly like this, but they probably won't. And fine, I, yeah. I'm cool with either one. There is there is rumors. There was a um, uh, somebody, I think like a visual effects animator or something like that, put the Animatrix Two on a resume. Mm. Um, so there's cool. a sneaky potential that maybe that could happen. I mean, that makes the most sense too because I feel like. Every major movie has an animatrix being made now, you know, where they're well, just the like, Wars oh, get the... a bunch of really, ta- yeah, 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 they got visions yeah. and it's like, oh, get a bunch of really talented animators from all over the world to like make a bunch of shorts. Yeah. That's where like, so much you of mean the, like the matrix for the matrix yeah. happened as well as in the animatrix. Exactly. Like a lot of the totally. lore that we understand to be in the matrix came from the animatrix. Um, I rewatched them all leading into the new one as well. Um, and I was surprised at how much I, I liked the sequel because I remember being in the camp of like I didn't like the sequels at all. And then rewatching, I was just like, nah, these are cool. I actually I, I like yeah. um, Revolutions kind of uh, the yeah. most. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's sick. Yeah, I don't know. Like the fact that's like it's a, just a big anime fight at the end. I like that. Um, 
And I like and I like the the way that they they thread it's like really insanely larger philosophical threads. I think I thought it was really cool. But uh, yeah, I loved Resurrections, and I like I don't understand what the naysayers wanted. As it's like, have you watched the other ones? Like, yeah, you've, you've yeah, seen the other the one. You've one. seen. Yeah. yeah, but even if you see the first, I mean, the first one like does really succeed on its own as just like a blockbuster movie, as much as like all these other things, and that's like it's what makes it so brilliant. But just like you know, I feel like you can't watch this movie, and they're like, oh, it's like too. Like, I, I remember hearing some people be like, it's so meta. I'm like, yeah. So you've seen the other ones, right? Yeah. So you like you like know <laughs> like you know what like they're about, it's like right? Making this legacy sequel to a movie that everybody knows, where really the sequels aren't that well like remembered you know for like mostly so it's like it's this weird thing where it's like well you're making a sequel to the you're making this legacy sequel 20 years later to the matrix when people didn't really like the last two that you did anyway they want it to be based off their memory of the matrix they don't want it to be based off the matrix yeah it's just like well you're you're fucked i don't know (laughs) like it's not gonna work that way and that's part of what's so cool is i don't think that you know lana wachowski really cared whether or not this was going to hit for the mass audience. And she, right. she made it a weird, esoteric movie that is totally, I think, defies like expectations for what a legacy sequel like this could be. And that rocks. I could see yeah. how some people would be turned off by that, but I, I would say to those people, you know, free your mind, yeah. bro. Free your <laughs> mind. Yeah. Wake yeah, up. I was, def- yeah. I was definitely into the, the first hour more than the second, personally, but I also saw it on the TV. I feel like yeah, the whole thing would have hit me better on the big screen. Yeah, big screen. Well, I had to. I needed. I like, awesome. <laughs> I watched it on Christmas and like I was like telling Claire, I'm like we have to watch it. Like I, I yeah. can't go another. Yeah. I can't go another fucking second without <laughs> seeing it. <laughs> also, light light spoiler here, but did anybody else um, really laugh at the end when they used uh, the cover of Wake yes. Up played yeah. by uh, what was that? By What's ladies. that band called? The brass no, but you know yeah. the the band that did that. Are they also like a Rage Against the Machine? They're the band Punk? that uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. The singer got in a little bit of trouble uh, fairly recently within the last couple months because she was at a fest and had a audience member come up on stage and pissed on his face. I do remember Whoa. this. That's the same band that does the cover at the end of Matrix Resurrections. Well. <laughs> And they were playing the yeah. same song when mm-hmm. the piss yeah. incident happened. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Come she on. just yeah. drank too many simulates before she Maybe. got on stage. Maybe. Quit it now. That's my that's least exclu- favorite that's part. That's exclusive content comedy. Okay, <laughs> save that for the paying customers. Don't don't just whip that out so here again. on the main feed. <laughs> and Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah. He's legacy sequel number one right Apparently, now. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's just like, I'll be in this one. I'll be in that one. Put me in your <laughs> legacy sequel. Awesome. Yeah, I thought the the new characters were also phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think the reimagining of them, especially Smith. I think Smith, I love Jonathan Groff. I love him. Especially they basically just made Smith like Neo's Vegeta now. Um, he's easy now. Like, now we're now we're really kind of getting into a little bit of spoilers and stuff. But like, okay, just in case, enough. just in case, fair enough. I'm trying to keep it down. We've also gone way over on Matrix. Okay, okay. okay. So, all right, all right. We we all have anything else that. to say kind on Matrix? No, we got our Matrixes in. Okay. Uh, all right. So moving on, uh, the next movie, Robbie. What movie do you want to talk about now? 
It is my turn <clears throat> to talk about the Summit of the Gods. Uh, Robert loves animation, as we all know. <laughs> so one, one had to make it on. So when you, when you, uh, when you, when you pick them, you're just like, yep. It is good animation. Uh, from the producers of my favorite animated movie of last year, uh, Wolfwalkers. Uh, Summit of the Gods is a French movie adapted from a manga of the same name about a uh, solo rock climber. Um, and it's fucking awesome. It's, I feel like a lot of movies on my list this year dealt with protagonists that are just kind of like crushed by their obsessions. Um, and and maybe that's just like a lot of movies. I didn't really realize it till recently, but that's only a lot of movies that I liked recently. Uh, I don't know what that means, but yeah, it's, uh, I wrote about in my top 10 article, just kind of about one of the things I really like about animation is just like the malleability of the art form. And some of the gods is as beautifully animated as, as any other animated movie and, and more so in some ways. And it feels like hyper realistic at times when it's like going through, it's like beautiful mountain vistas. What I really love is that it's such like a, a pun intended grounded story. Like it's, you know, there's no magic. There's, there's very minimal, like, uh, any like moments of like uh, like visual flair that that's not also ground in reality. Um, there's really like only one moment in particular, and uh, and it's like one of the things that really struck me is that it's just like how just realistic it was as an animated movie. And there are moments where like the, like this movie has like one of the most like tense moments in a film I've ever like I've seen all year. Like it was it's fucking incredible. Uh, the performances are really great, and yeah, it's just kind of like. I haven't seen Free Solo. I, I was talking to my girlfriend Claire about it, and she loves movies like Free Solo and The Alchemist and stuff. And she loved this movie, and like you know, she kind of talked about how like the protagonist of this movie is very much in line with like the protagonists of those docu series, and about just like how a lot of these climbers, you know, they they almost like come across as like sociopathic or insane because they're just kind of like they're obsessive. overcome. They're obsessed. Yeah. yeah, they're obsessive, and they're just overcome by this drive and. You know, we have a few other movies on our list that also deal with, like, obsessive protagonists, but um, our climber, uh, Habu, just, like, he, just seeing why he does this, and even after, like, so many reasons why he shouldn't do this throughout the movie, he just keeps going. And, uh, yeah, I just was really, really blown away by just, like, its quality, and uh, it's always nice when you, you know, you see, the trailer for the movie is, like, a really, it's a really good trailer, there's, like, You'll watch if you see the trailer. You're like, I'll fucking watch this shit. But it's, um, yeah. It was just I was so I was so surprised at actually like how good it was, and how interesting it was, and the movie also deals with like kind of like multiple planes of obsession, and almost deals with like you know, m- there's like our main character who's this climber who's obsessive, and then you have the photojournalist that's following him who's obsessed with him, and then you also have the, um photographer from a different time period who died on on the south side of mount everest who they're obsessed with and it's just kind of like this this like curse that kind of like transcends but you don't leave the movie doesn't end with you being like man they shouldn't have done that and i think that's always really like the coolest thing about movies that deal with obsession where you it's not it's not condemning these things necessarily it's kind of just like well that's 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 that person's story and i don't think it's i don't think it's saying it's good or bad it's just saying like that's their story you know and i think i think it's cool but yeah i'm not i'm not sure who 
I know Birch said you you watched it, right? I I'm not sure if anyone it, yeah. else had a I chance to catch it. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. What did you What did you guys think? Burn, you want to go? Oh, sure. Uh, movies like this make me really nervous because I can identify with this not through me personally, but Heath gets into some pretty like gnarly, somewhat dangerous things. He really got into mountain biking during the pandemic. And he's still really into mountain biking. And he's gotten into like some pretty bad scrapes, but he continues to do it. And he'll show me videos of like people going down really tall mountains and the path is so narrow. And literally, if they were to maybe push their weight a little bit to the right, they would fall off a cliff. Everyone and breaks their collarbone. Yes. <laughs> he, he has not broken anything yet, but he has bruised ribs. Uh, so far in the past year and a half. And uh, it's something that it's, it's it's interesting to watch a movie like this, A, because it took me out because it's a French anime, which I already thought was pretty interesting. But it also takes me out because it feels very masculine. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just something that I can't personally relate to, because I've never felt like I've been afforded the opportunity to take such risks. And nor psychologically would I ever want to at this point in my life. Uh, I've tried the mountain biking thing a few times. I'm bad at it. But I also don't care to get better at it. So it's something to me that kind of lends itself to a disconnect. And we'll talk about a film later in this podcast, which is the flip side where it's a woman who's really driving herself. So that'll be an interesting conversation once we get there, too. Um but yeah, this movie was very well done, um, very engaging to watch this man hunt for this other man, finally find him, and then also try to do the th same thing that that gentleman is doing was very interesting. I liked that he had the, I won't get into spoilers, but I like that the connection between the two of them was meaningful in an actual human grounded way, like you had said, more so than just the fantasy idea of what this connection was. Um, it felt very rewarding to watch these two characters meet. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. I sadly did not watch a lot of animation last year, so I was glad that you included this on this podcast because it gave me the vehicle to go out and watch it. And I really liked it. Yeah, I don't think I watched a ton of animation last year either, but this one luckily was one and was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say um, until like almost the very end of making my list, I had the Alpinist on my list and I decided to pull it off in the thought that I'm going to do a separate list just for documentaries. And so I pulled off all the documentaries that I was thinking of putting on my top 10 and was like, I took him out of the equation. And that was sort of like a, a way f to make it a little easier for me. But um, in a lot of ways, this did kind of fill that void where I did really enjoy Free Solo. But that character, Alex, is a lot more, in my mind, psychotic. Because he is so competitive to the point where he doesn't necessarily care about... It affecting the people that he loves and the alpinist is i really recommend it if you liked this film the summit of the gods i recommend going out and watching the alpinist it's also on netflix um mark andre leclerc died really young 
which is not a spoiler because most people know about that going into the documentary. But um, the reason I liked that documentary so much is because it kind of took this this theme that I think the Summit of the Gods does really well, where it is like the purpose, like the the incentive for the climb is like you don't totally know why you're doing it, and then you do. Like you're doing it for yourself. Um, the like spirit of it wanting to climb and challenge yourself moving you uh not necessarily competing with other people not caring about that but just like doing it for yourself and so like that motivation um is really in the alpinist where he's just sort of like a really goofy really sweet 23 year old kid who loves to climb and most of the time loves to climb by himself and not necessarily to compete with other people and so it's a different character than in the summit of the gods but i also respect that sort of like thirst to challenge yourself and i've known a lot of people throughout my life with different jobs that i've had where they have these passions for doing sort of like terrifying hobbies and you're just kind of like why would you put yourself in that if you knew that that might end your life but then that is sort of like the reason for some people to live period yeah. so i love yeah, I think that it's like aspect. a yeah. it's like an imbalance that i don't understand yeah you know? like i think it's like on a chemical level because i also think in some of the gods like there's a lot of reasons you could attribute to why this character does this thing and each one kind of gets like pushed to the side like well he just keeps on fucking doing it so totally just must he just must have something wrong with him and i think that you know for to a certain extent like that can just be enough because he has all the reason in the world not to want to do this anymore and at first you're like oh is he doing it for fame is he doing it for respect is he doing it for retribution is he doing it for punishment right i don't think it's i don't think it's any of i don't think it's any of those reasons i think it's just because he has to and right. uh, you know, I'm he almost jealous care if of it's people. Documented or not? No, yeah, he doesn't I'm care almost, if people I'm, know about it. He just wants to. I'm do almost, it. I'm almost jealous of people who can just have like such a singular goal to chase. You know, I almost, I'm almost envious of that. <laughs> it's oh, just like, totally. yeah, I just need to do this one thing, and it's my whole life. I'm like, well, that's what we're all trying to do, right? <laughs> you know, we're all trying to figure out well, what's like the one fucking thing I can do. Right, that's good. I don't know. But this guy knows that he did it. He did a great job. <laughs> Ish. Yeah, I would say like real quickly, like uh, I loved, I I loved it. I I think it's like uh, an amazing kind of a uh, almost like a companion piece to uh, another movie that's coming out uh, right now called Flea, which is an animated documentary, and this is like an animated biopic in the so sense good. of just like it's so of, it's kind of hitting these things. Uh, like based off of the manga where it's just so rich in life and realism that like I'm actually getting tense about a cartoon character falling off of a cliff. And I think like that's like a little harder to do. Like I watched Free Solo and the whole time I'm just like, this guy is going to die. Oh, stop doing it. But I was also like in the back of my head. I was like, well, they wouldn't have released the movie if he died doing it or i would have heard about know. that by now yeah, exactly you never you never it, yeah, yeah and, exactly but also like the thing about um some of the gods that's so uh interesting as far as like the you know there's always like the the question of like why would you do that why do people like this do that and the age-old answer is like because it's there you know like that's what everybody yeah. says and i feel like some of the gods they never say that 
and they never actually answer the question because I think what they're kind of getting at is because like, well, because that's the meaning. Like you're asking why do I do this? But like, you're kind of skipping over just like, this is my purpose. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. There's no reason in like an earthly realm of like, you know, why I'm doing this. It's what I'm meant to do. It's what I do. And I think that all the different versions of the characters they showed throughout this, like from all the different climbers, uh, main characters or side characters to people that don't do it for too long or uh, people who do it maybe for different means and different professions. um, It kind of just comes down to it's like it's it's not because it's there. It's because I can and because I should and because I need to. Well, I think they do a good yeah. job, too, of explaining, like, when you do climb at such high altitudes and without oxygen and adding all of these different layers to it, like, by yourself in winter conditions, if you start to train your body to do things like that to that degree, what does clocking in and out of a job mean to you at that point? Like, yeah. you are otherworldly. You don't care. Yeah, yeah, it starts to help your brain disconnect, just like the process of riding a subway with a bunch of other people on their phones. I think it does a good job of explaining, like, once you've done this once, how can you even identify with people who haven't done this? Yeah. Which I think well, is like a really say, good disconnect. Yeah. It's like when they say when, like, you know, like, astronauts have, like, a weird, like, disconnect from reality when they can, like, see the Earth. You know, they're so, they're in space and they can, like, have this, like, insane separation from, like, themselves and the actual planet that when they come back to Earth, it's, like, something's a little bit broken. Same same concept, really. I even think about when we saw, yeah, when we saw First Man, like, that, that whole concept of, like, him coming back and trying to, like, reconnect with his wife, you're just like, I feel like with First Man, it's, it's like, he's trying to reconnect to people after just, like, overwhelming trauma. Yeah. (laughs) It's, like, not gonna work. I also, my, my kind of, like, last thing I want to say about some of the gods is that I think, the the way the subtle ways that it uses animation to such great effect is um the way that like they so beautifully romanticize like the act of climbing and it just like looks so tactile and like good and it's because like it is animated that you you can be up close to them actually doing it you can see them like rotating between different picks to stick into the mountain and you can like have these like angles that you I'm sure you could you could do in film, but it just would be, I think, very difficult. Whereas in animation, they can really have like a lot of rain over it. And that's why they can have such moments of tension when you, you know, see a character potentially free fall. They can put the camera exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. You know, I also thought camera. that worked really well, too, with just like the concepts of you're having altitude sickness. So like the fact yeah. that he was having one of the like, only surreal moments in the yeah, movie is that and it is it, like him having effect. these yeah. painful headaches and like blanking out and the way that they animated that is really awesome because if that was just filmed like documentary style real people, there's no way to really totally so, convey that. It's awesome. Yeah, Claire and I were watching a documentary about this guy who he has a team of people and he's trying to climb like the seven tallest mountains in the world and he's trying to do it in like seven months or something yeah and it's like it's kind of mid as a documentary but they have a scene where he is experiencing like high altitude sickness and it looks so fucking lame because it's so it's so like edited right it doesn't feel 
real. It's like, I'm sure he's going through it. And I'm sure it like sucks ass, but it doesn't feel very real. Cause it's just like, they just put a weird like aberration effect on it. And he's just kind of like, it's a POV shot of him. Like, doing this a little bit i'm like yeah i mean like is that like I, it doesn't it doesn't nearly capture what i would imagine that feels like the same way that someone of the gods do where it's like this encroaching just like like mind meld about to attack you while you're climbing totally and it feels so much more like anxiety inducing for sure oh yeah uh moving on from some of the gods uh burn what's the next movie that you got yeah, I was going to ask you, when do you want to do a couple of, like, speed round honorable mentions, if at all? Do you want to do that before the first uh, one we talk about, or the last one, I should say? Or do you want to do mean, it now? We could do it now. You brought it up. Yeah! yeah. yeah. I, I can go first, since I sprung it on everyone. I just wanted to mention two films right off uh, really quickly that were honorable mentions for even having a discussion about for this podcast. Um, I really loved Annette, and I didn't even bring that up in the group chat to like discuss the movie Annette, but the Annette film, uh, it was by Leos Carex, and it's all Sparks music. So if you were a fan of the Sparks Brothers, which was a documentary done by Edgar Wright, uh, this past year, you learned all about the band Sparks, and Sparks wrote this opera, essentially, starring uh, Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard, and the film is batshit crazy. Very, very good. It's weird! Very French. <laughs> very French, very weird, uh, but the music's great, and I think it's a top five Adam Driver performance, uh, hands down. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. And then another film that we're not talking about uh, this time around is Titan. But there was a hot take on Titan. But that film ended up landing pretty high on my list, too. And obviously, if you want to hear people talk more about Titan, go look up that hot take because it's a very good hot take. It's got Robbie and Burge on it discussing all of that great stuff. Um, but yeah, those two films I almost wanted to talk about on this podcast, and uh, then I will send it over to you, Jack. What are your honorable mentions? Uh, I didn't have any specifically in mind, so I'm put on the spot here, but definitely one that I Ooh. think is worth uh, shouting out is Licorice Pizza. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I like that movie Licorice Pizza is awesome. Uh, it it It's the kind of like, you know, clear love letter from a director to a very specific time and place um i kind of see it as almost like it feels sort of like a companion piece kind of to something like once upon a time in hollywood but with a very different tone and very different kind of story but that kind of like loving sort of uh ode to la specifically um and specifically during the 70s and it just is such like a, a you know Age gap aside, it is just a, a, a sweet kind of love story about growing up and being stuck, you know, kind of growing up like from two different angles from like being in that Hollywood kind of setting where you are forced to become a hustler and grow up like way before you really should. And also that kind of feeling of being stuck in your mid 20s and not knowing what the fuck you're going to do and seeing totally. these two two characters kind of like meet in the middle there and have a relationship with each other and also it's just like a 
it's a very vibey movie. It's like a, just like a hangout kind of movie. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson already like is great at nailing that kind of vibe in a movie where just like a bunch of stuff happens around some characters that are really like interesting and dynamic. Um, and there's some fucking phenomenal like supporting roles in there that are just just uh, just perfect. <laughs> a, a lot, lot of hate for president. Ooh, yeah. she let is her, good. Let her run the country. She's good. Give her access to the nuclear codes. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm not sure how much interest she has in those, but give it to her anyway. You know why not? Let's, yeah, she can. Let's she vote can for her next time. Yeah, I think she deserves it. Yeah, and if I guess if I was going to pick two, um, the we're not. I don't know if anyone else on this podcast saw this, but the Evangelion. Uh, rebuild movie. The fourth of uh, the rebuild movies was very high on my list. Are you talking and about Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 Thrice Upon a Time? That is actually what I'm talking about, <laughs> Bruce. Yes. Very, very Do you know how so. many people called the theater <laughs> asking... Do you know how many 17-year-old boys oh, called the shit. theater and left voicemails asking if we were playing that movie? That was actually all me. And I was doing different say, voices. Yeah, now that I'm I thinking about all it, my it voice changers. All sound like you. I mean, I tried to change. I was wearing a mustache in some of them. You couldn't really tell over the phone, but <laughs> you they were, were all wearing, like, You were using the I, thing that I they called, use in Scream. I called all of them back to like explain, like, oh no, we don't have space or anything like that. But I at one point looked up because I'm not familiar with Evangelion, so I looked up like the basic kind of premise of what this one was, so that I could just like say information to them. And um, calm them because when I would just tell them that we weren't playing it, they'd be just like, "Go watch it on Prime, kids. Why? Relax. It's fine." They, they get <laughs> really, fine. they get really upset. It's um, kind of like uh, most like dudes in their forties. Why we're not playing Licorice Pizza yet? It's like, no, not sure. to hit you, Jack, because you just said Licorice <laughs> so Pizza. I'm stuck somewhere between forty-year-old and seventeen-year-old is where I'm. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, right you're landing right so, in there. Yeah. Yeah. One um, of my best friends who is forty has admitted that he's seen it three or four times now. So it's. Yeah, you're not Licorice wrong. Pizza or Evangelion? <laughs> Licorice Pizza, you're uh, not wrong. So, I mean, <laughs> just to speak on Evangelion for like two seconds. I Please do, sorry to, sorry, to, um, sorry to deviate is, on that. You know, it's actually similar in a lot of ways to The Matrix in that it is, you know, a creator that has been working with a series for a very long time. And I think in this, this is technically, it gets very esoteric, but there, technically this is the third time the series has ended in one way or another. It's kind of the third ending that you cannot redo that kind of thing anyway um and to see you know the way that Hideki Anno has kind of revisited this and finally is like supposedly putting an end to this series with this movie was I think a powerful thing um and to see him kind of reckon with a lot of the things and a lot of the different very different places I think he was as a creator throughout this the run of the series and to see it kind of end on a much more, you know, hopeful note that the series has really been in, in a lot of places before was, was, was really cool and really satisfying at an end. And, and, you know, you know, similar in a lot of ways to the, the matrix. So. Oh yeah. Robbie, how about you? Honorable mentions. Uh, I, my number one movie on my list was the green Knight. Um, Hell yeah. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, Pig and, and Green Knight are probably like the two most like personally important movies I saw last year. And Green Knight came out at a time where I was like at a great like crossroads in my life and I feel like the movie really imprinted on me by 
the way it was dealing with like choice paralysis and legacy and being honorable and just kind of like the way the movie wrestled with that. Um, but then pulled outside of my own mush. Um, <laughs> I really like that. I really just love the vibe of the movie, the way it feels like so <laughs> modern and so like um, classic. And, and I think it's funny talking to some people who expected an, an Arthurian epic, but instead it's like really just like a horny nightmare. It's like a horny <laughs> art movie, um, which is like for me is fucking awesome. And I just love, I just love that horny little nightmare movie. I think it's so good. Uh, I want to watch it just every day. It's every like every frame of it's fucking perfect. I love it. I wanna, I want the the wood the wood knight the green, the titular green knight to talk to me. <laughs> the wood knight all the time. The wood knight definitely best. I want the I want the best come shot twenty twenty one. The wood knight absolutely, is definitely a absolutely. porn sequel. Yeah, in in so, film, yeah, in film, Jack. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. true. Um, and then I'm not sure if anyone else was going to shout this out, but uh, Malignant was another movie. Oh, hell yeah. My, it, so it wasn't on my list, but it was on my Jeremy list for a long time. Jeremy put it on his time. list, which is backwards awesome. Man, backwards, man. I, I just think we should, man, we should talk. I don't know. I just think I just think it should be said on this podcast at some point. I feel like Malignant is, is almost like in some ways like matrix resurrections where it's just like this movie costs a lot of money and it exists and it's just like that's crazy yeah. <laughs> that's crazy well, that it's they also did that. Like, in this, like like you're saying what matrix resurrections like lana wachowski's relationship to the matrix and making matrix resurrections i feel like malignant is like the culmination of james wan's entire career over 20 years of like making these super successful and game-changing horror and action movies and he's like and now I give you yeah. this. And it's just this gigantic box in red wrapping paper with sickly green ribbon on it. And you're like, what's inside this? And he's like, don't you want to know? It's And that's malignant. When you, when you click yeah. play on HBO Max, that's what you... I 100% agree. Um, Kakoa Shaw is such a great name for a character. And I also think... Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I think that that was like one of the most fun... Twitter only has so many fun like weeks or days. Totally, and I think when yeah. Malignant came out, that <laughs> yeah, was like was a pretty fun. Time. That was like a pretty good week. Or <laughs> everyone was just like, you have some people being like, I think this movie might be stupid. And you're like, hell yeah! And the movie like, this might be the, my favorite movie ever made. And you're like, hell yeah! You're right too. It's, I'm it's also watching uh, Peaky Blinders for the first time. Yeah, Mike is rewatching it, and I had no fucking idea. I was like. Grace, it's Grace. She's the actress that's in Malignant, and it is mind blowing when you put those two together. You're just like, what? You know, it's it's really good. So it's yeah. it's good, dumb in the best way. <laughs> we need more of that. To yeah. Be yeah, and conversely, yeah, two two resurrections like it didn't do that well. Also, well, similarly, but conversely, I wish that it did do really well, so that James Wan would have the opportunity to do more good, stupid things more often. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's he gets might. to do whatever he wants. I know, I know. I he know. made Aquaman. He's allowed to do whatever he wants Fair for enough. like 10 years. It's now. also like I watched The New Mutants and I wish it was malignant. <laughs> you know, like I some like weird parallels where I was like, this was way more fun. Ever, but I kind of understand the themes. Ever since September of 2021, I often find myself watching new movies going, I wish this was malignant. Yeah. So that's not that's not hard. 
And then we watched Birch... Die Hard for Christmas, and I was watching it, and I was just like, you know, this is good, but you know what would really tie this movie together? He could have a backwards man. He could have a backwards man. We, we yeah. never see behind him, so you don't know. If Spoilers only. for Malignant. Yeah. If you haven't watched it yet, come Yeah, on, that really man. gives yeah. it away. That really gives yeah. it away. <laughs> and then Virgin um, Diana, it's to you for your... Honorable um, mentions. You got some honorable mentions? Uh, I really liked West Side Story because I'm a basic, I'm a basic bro. Don't, don't frame it like that. No, no, no. I'm a basic bro. You like bro musicals. Like, I like musicals. Good. I like Steven Spielberg. I like West Side Story. I don't usually like musicals. I love this movie. And it's it was very good. very good. It's, uh, it was my number two movie of the year, which is also very surprising. Um... Uh, again, like my my top two movies, uh, Pig and West Side Story, like I did not see coming. I knew that they'd be high up because when I watched them, I loved them. But as I started really kind of writing about them and figuring it out, figuring out all that it was, I West Side Story is just a, a movie that absolutely should not work for so many reasons. And it works so well on all of them. Um, it's not a perfect movie because no movie is, but... The things that could have gone wrong with that movie do not. And the things that you wouldn't expect to be improved are. And there's a there's a lot of things that were improved from the 60s original version, which for a lot of people, even with all of its faults, is very beloved. So, you know, growing up watching that with my mom on repeat, even though a lot of the characters are not Hispanic or not actually singing, they're lip syncing, you know, like this new version does a lot to rectify that. And it does it. Tony Kushner is the screenplay and it is fucking good. He does a good good job. It's it's, it's a, it's the same thing that keeps happening with all of my uh, Spielberg write-ups that I do for movie daddy, which is you're just like Spielberg by the, by the time of like the mid nineties had just surrounded himself had surrounded himself with just like professionals on every level of like behind the scenes that would just want to keep working with him constantly. And so you just like, you have like some of the best screenwriters, some of the best cinematographers, like the best editor, the, the best composer, just like working on every single Spielberg movie. And it's just like, it just, it's insane. Uh, Love West Side Story. Um, the other one that I would want to shout out is, of course, the beach that makes you old. Because <laughs> uh, old is really, really fucking good. And I love old so much. I watched it with Bernadette Gorman White. Mm-hmm. I was sitting shoulder to shoulder with her uh, and, and, and her lovely sister, uh, Colleen. Mary, Mary Colleen. Colleen. <laughs> Colleen's my mom's name. It popped in there. Um Mary Colleen and uh, we uh, we had ourselves a time. Yeah. We had ourselves a time in that theater. It was a good time. And speaking I, of fun times on Twitter, the beach that makes you old. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Beach, that, that so was a good. Great fucking that time was a good on week. Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but I I remember when we walked out of it, we were like talking about it in the lobby a little bit, and then I watched it about a month later with D. And my first I time watching it. Found myself, I, I cried throughout a lot of it because I a lot because now I knew what it's what it was really trying to do as far as like 
the commentary on like growing old and stuff, which is a very simplistic one with the metaphor that it's doing. But I do think that a lot of the things that that M Knight does in this is are just so um, powerful and just so there's there's like a commentary on growing old and losing people and like what death means and what life means by that point and raising children and just like mental Ill, like all these different things are presented in these ways that are uh they were just extremely touching to me that really locked with me the second time but also with that stuff that i really enjoyed the first time and the second time too which is m night's like b movie mentality of like injecting a a very big movie that's going to be released in every theater and he's going to give it um some pretty silly dialogue and he's going to make his actors like like this the actors in this thing are some of the best actors working today so if you are a critic in any way professional youtube podcast anything and you're watching this movie and you're going I didn't like it because the dialogue was bad. Bad's not the right word because that's that's fucking Rufus Sewell up there. Do you think that Rufus Sewell just like phoned it in for his COVID-19 M. Night Shyamalan movie? All of these people flew out and lived on an island for two months to, to film this thing. So it's like it's the intentionality of it all, which I always love about movies is like, oh, what's the artistic intent? What are they doing? And that's why I love M. Night Shyamalan so much, because like the more you dig into like, oh, what's he trying to do here? And does that thing that kind of came off as silly kind of purposefully push that theme forward a little bit? And in old, it's like, yeah, it's like all of these people are talking like children. They're all talking the way a child thinks that adults talk to each other because we're all children anyway. We're just grown up. And that's kind of what he's going for. And I think that that's super cool and fun. And it's the beats that makes you old. Sure is. <laughs> Never forget. Never forget. All right. So I'll start with one that was in my top 20, but didn't make it into the top 10 that I really recommend to you guys. If you haven't had a chance to see it, it's I'm Your Man. Uh, Great starring, movie. Oh, yeah, starring, starring Dan Stevens, and he is speaking fluent German, and he is playing essentially a male robot that is designed for the other character to be her perfect companion. And she's a researcher at a university, and she decides to participate in this three-week study, hoping that her uh, boss will approve funding for her project if she goes through with this. And the fact is, is like you expect it to be weird. You expect it to be funny. It is really fucking poignant. And the fact that it's so good really has to do with Dan Stevens' performance. He's so good. Um, so I highly recommend it. Maren Eggert, who plays Alma, the, the woman counterpart to him, is also extra, extra. She's great. But I really feel like it's Dan Stevens' show, but it's so different from performances like uh the guest or something like that it's a it's sort of a, a other end of the the spectrum where is it on like the beauty and the beast scale beauty and the beast <laughs> yeah I he's mostly like, a robot in beauty know, and the beast i as feel well. like it's closer well, no, no, Robbie, it's closer uh, to beast than it is to the guest yeah no it's <laughs> he's not it's, a robot he's yeah. a beast he's a, he's a beast yeah he says i am I gonna, i'm a beast yeah <laughs> i am a beast yes i remember the song very very well i'm a beast yeah 
But uh, I also know what I want for Christmas this year too, which is Dan Stevens robot. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Making me breakfast. It's yeah. too yeah. late. Like everyone it'll be wants a, it'll that. It'll be a couple's yeah. gift for each other, like a couch. So I can <laughs> dance with him around the house. Exactly. Something um, we can both use. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the other film is one that did make it onto a bunch of our lists. It's it's Drive My Car, and I would say. I I recommend it to Robbie and Burge who have not seen it. I know that Jack and and Bernadette (laughs) have seen it. So um, it is a short story that was turned into a three-hour film, but the general consensus is it's not boring. It didn't drag. Even though it's three hours, it's very compelling. Um, A lot of that has to do with the two main characters. And yeah, I would just say, you know, it's kind of like an experience movie. So like the the concept of it being a car ride is, you know, on the surface and metaphor that it works really well for the film. It gives you a lot of time to think it through and experience all the emotions of grief, jealousy, you know, dealing with your own shit. Um, there's a lot of great actors in it. Really good. Really recommend it. Yeah, I... I uh, Murakami is one of my favorite authors. I haven't not read the short story that it's actually relatively recent um, mm. from a book, Men Without Women. I've actually heard that the the movie is better than the sto- short story itself because it expands on some things. And um, but some of the stuff that I like the most about Murakami's writing is you know finding like a meditative place and state of mind to process those kinds of things. And I think drive my car really like nails that sort of tone and idea um, and uses, you know, being in a car as like that vehicle to kind of get to that place where you can just kind of like think, think to yourself, you know, and kind of work stuff out. So, and also what happens when, you know, that piece that you might find driving a car by yourself and having that time alone is like interrupted by somebody else and how can you can maybe wind up sharing that and, maybe work through some things together so yeah totally yeah granted i obviously think if you can see a movie at story screen in beacon new york do it but i had never been to jacob burns before and i wanted to no see way, really? and so ah. i drove by myself to that's jacob where burns. i went to see it also Me too. Me yeah too. by myself yeah <laughs> i went so with during- jeremy so nice uh. yeah <laughs> I had the experience where I didn't have a car ride alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bern and I had time to think it over on the way home. Which was really, really nice, especially being in a place that I'd never been before. So it was very cool. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, it's fun that um, I watched over 150 new movies last year. And the one movie that I didn't watch, because it was three hours long (laughs) and an hour and a half away, is the movie that made it onto half of people's lists. So... Thanks, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I got something to shoot for. There you go. No, it, it keeps me humble. You know? <laughs> Did you see Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy? Mm. No. That was also a Jacob Burns. There's not that's show? on VOD now, so you can yeah. watch that. Yeah. Isn't that a show? No. No. Nope. Wheel of Fortune? No. And you think Fantasy. Of Wheel of- yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see where I'll you're getting. I see where you're going. Uh, okay. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on. That's All it right. on the short round discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right, so bring it all right back to um, Bernadette. It's me. <laughs> I'm to your right on my screen, but I guess I'm below Oh, yeah, you. I'm pointing down yeah. to my right. Perfect. <laughs> 
All right. So, yeah. The next movie that I want to talk about at length in a roundtable discussion. It's funny. I didn't even realize until we were talking about all of the movies we had chosen um, that, again, my other movie is also about sex work. Very similar to Zola. Uh, the next movie I, I want to talk that. about <laughs> is Sean Baker's new film, Red Rocket. Um, I think Sean Baker is one of the most interesting filmmakers that's working today. I love him immensely. I think he captures humanity and the bulk of especially United States citizenry in probably one of the most naturalistic and honest ways. I feel like when I see a Sean Baker character on screen growing up in rural southeastern Indiana, I know those people. And so whenever I watch a movie, it's almost like part documentary. And he has such a knack for picking people who aren't actors to portray these roles on screen that I find very, very compelling. So Red Rocket is a film about a porn star played by Simon Rex, Mikey Saber. And he comes home to Texas, which I rewatched Zola the night before going to see Red Rocket in theaters. And so I had Zola, the end of Zola, they're kind of like in a car driving away. And you can see like Florida in the background. And then the beginning of Red Rocket is Mikey Saber on a bus on a Greyhound going back to Texas, which is where he's from. And so I felt like these two films are kind of like spiritually related, but it has Mikey Saber coming back home uh, from LA and his porn star career coming back to Texas to his wife, who also happened to be a porn star with him for a time before she got kind of got discarded um, by both him and the industry. And he's coming back to Texas because he's kind of like at the end of his career. He's kind of been aged out. He's also been kind of drugged out. He's just obviously not a very serious person. He has a hard time committing to things. And he comes back to Texas hoping to try to make some money by selling drugs and, you know, getting into all kinds of other things. And, of course, because he's Mikey Saber... And he's addicted to the craft, and he's addicted to a great many things, sex included. He becomes infatuated with this young woman whose nickname is Strawberry. And he starts to fall in love with her, but he's in love with her for a great many reasons. Part of it is because he actually does find himself attracted to her, and he does like her, but he also sees her as a means to get back into the industry. And this movie has to do with grooming, And even, like, male grooming, I think there's a good argument that he himself, as Mikey Saber, was groomed into this industry. And it's kind of an industry that I am a huge supporter for. I think that sex work and porn, I think those are valid means of conveyance for income. And I think that there's a good way to do these things, but I think that there are a lot of seedy elements that go into it. And I think Red Rocket really highlights how the underside of this industry is pretty rotten and can be pretty rotten if you're interacting with the wrong people. And the movie is so funny. Like the the elements are so so deep and depressing, but on the surface level, gosh, this movie's great. Like I was laughing 
multiple times out loud by myself in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> Laughing with the people I was sitting next to who were strangers to me. It's hard to be able to watch like a movie about sex with strangers and still totally. find yourself in such like good company. Um, but yeah, I think Red Rocket's great. Um, it's hard to compare his projects because uh, Tangerine's great. Florida Project's great. They're also similar but also very different where you can kind of detach them yeah. Yeah. and yeah red rocket was such a joy to watch i loved it yeah it's sorry, <clears throat> sorry no no problem. i was gonna just say they're they're similar in craft but not necessarily in like content mm-hmm. right like the way that they're put together is just like yeah he on the technical aspect and the way he compiles these stories is is very similar but each each one really stands luckily florida project's so far away from from Red Rock. <laughs> yeah, it's a Sean Baker Tangerine is amazing and Florida Project is amazing and Red Rocket is amazing but and they're they're all kind of like they have the same like style. You know, like they they've got that Sean Baker style with the you know, he likes to shoot on film and um you know, like Tangerine was notoriously shot on like an iPhone 6, you know, so like you get that kind of grainy quality to it where it's like kind of handheld. It's kind of weird to think about like when Tangerine was made that shooting on an iPhone was kind of the same thing as like shooting on film now, <laughs> you know, where it's like it, it it's just this kind of like weird um, uh, quasi malleable uh, like grain to it. And he also is just very character focused. He yeah, he just really focuses in on what makes this singular character tick. Okay, and so all these characters around that character, what makes them tick? Let's explore that and kind of move within and without these people. And that's kind of how real life is. You're never hanging out with just the same person all the time. There's one person that you're kind of always maybe with. But you're also always kind of interacting with all these other characters in your life and they all bring out a different thing in you. And I think that that's one of the funnest things about Simon Rex's performance is how different he acts in front of all of the different characters that he meets in this movie. And especially how he acts in front of um, Lexi, uh, his his wife. uh, And that performance, too, is just... I put it up in my right out because it was just a thing that was making my jaw just hit the floor. It's just like the, the performances in this thing from everybody are just so real. It's a lot like the Florida Project again, where you're like, I know Willem Dafoe can act very well. And then you watch the Florida Project and you're just like, oh, my God, what is he doing? It's 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 insanity. It's he's I think he's just got a very realistic an optimistic approach to filming things that are real, but also kind of like what we were talking about with pig still like a little gnarly and, you know, it's not perfect, but it's real and it's nice sometimes, but sometimes it's not like that kind of thing. It's he's, he's just got like a really, really good way of cinematically capturing that vibe. I think he also, he has characters too that like, don't, like you root for and they don't make the right decisions. And totally. that unfortunately is like, it's so realistic, right? Yeah. Like, Cause like, how often does that happen where like someone like 
fall short of your expectations. Mikey like, I is rooting, not I was a rooting good person. for you. Yeah. On no, paper, that's he's, like so. That's he's the worst. He's like the worst person you worst, could imagine. But, but and, and it's yeah. so cool because like the movie like you know presents him as the protagonist, and in the beginning of the film, you're like. I want this guy to get better. He's selling. He's just selling drugs now. Like he has you tricked. Like he has everyone else yeah. tricked, right? Yeah. And then as you get towards the end, you're like, I think he's. I think you're just a piece of shit, and you're just gonna be a piece of shit till you're dead. And he, proves, he at least proves you right, you know. So I think that like, it, you know, he's he's like the true antihero more than uh, the titular Deadpool. He's the real like like just piece of shit, you know. Yeah. And like, and I think it's interesting the way that like the movie allows you to be fooled at the same cadence as the rest of the cast and then lets you come to the the same realization towards the end and uh i also really no spoilers but i really you know i it has one of those endings that you kind of lose you like ah but then you get to like kind of think about it and talk yeah. about it with people and kind of mull it over um you know almost like almost like like enemy or something you know where you're just like fuck man like i just want to i want to understand this movie so bad and uh yeah i really i really liked it too and similarly to Zola, it understands that full frontal male nudity is very funny. And it uses that uh, to great, great degree. Yes. It's, a, it's a funny little body to be popped into. There's yes. some weird stuff <laughs> going some on weird, here. funny stuff going you on, know? yeah. Simon Rex Especially when you're so running good. at full speed, That's there's some yeah. funny so stuff good. that happens. <laughs> yeah, I think it does a good job, too, because I think, obviously, <clears throat> especially now that people are really discussing uh, how porn is so harmful to young people who get into porn early or not get into on an acting level, but get into on an obsession level hmm. and how it can kind of both <laughs> and uh, how that can be so like desensitizing to themselves. And they have a, a poor image of what sex is like what healthy sex is like. It projects a lot of uh, negative fantasies into the world, for sure. And I like how this movie really takes that at face value. And it's like, yeah, you want to see who the actors are who act in, like, your wildest fantasies? Let me yeah. show you where they live and who they are. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's great. I think it's great. also... I think it's interesting in, like, the modern, like, the year of 2022, like, pornographic climate where it's, like... Mikey's from a almost like a bygone age yeah. of pornography, mm -hmm. whereas like now with like with like things like OnlyFans or Fansly or whatever, where these uh, porn stars and sex workers have like they're a lot more empowered to be their own directors, producers, content creators. And I'm almost just like, well, Strawberry girl, if you want to do porn, just make OnlyFans. You don't need this guy. Yeah. Like, you'll right. be fine. you would make him way more money. You don't have to move any... You don't have, you have to just buy a webcam. Maybe that'll I be in the sequel. Have, have at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved the, like, discussion that happened a couple of times where it was like, well, why did you get the award for the blowjob? Mm-hmm. When it was the that was such a good when it was the woman who did it, and that like came up like two times in the movie, and I I loved that like framework for like addressing the issues in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that that film is great on so many different levels, but just in the like very like basis of what it stands for, is just funny, honest people, and yeah. I think it's just a feat. And if you haven't watched it yet, listeners, please go check it out. It's great. Yeah, he's an absolute piece of shit. He sucks. <laughs> I, I think um, my, my favorite review that I saw of 
of Red Rocket is that it's Licorice Pizza's evil twin brother. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why up. I resonated with it more. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I get where they're coming from from that, but I feel like that might be like a Treehouse of Horror kind of thing where it's Ooh. like. <clears throat> Bart has an evil twin brother down the basement, but you find out Bart's actually the evil twin brother. I don't sure. know. I'm just I saying, mean, I'm just saying Licorice listen. Pizza's got some shit going on. You could on read into that maybe. any way you like, Mike, yeah. and it's yeah. all valid. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, does anybody else, uh, uh, anybody got anything else on Red Rocket before we move on? Nah. Nope. All right. Bye-bye, Diana, Red Rocket. You're next. All right. Uh, my, my pick for discussion was one that made it onto a lot of people's lists. It was Nine Days. Um, It's directed by Edson Oda. If you haven't seen it, the premise is kind of like Winston Duke plays this character, Will, whose job is to interview souls for the opportunity to be born on Earth. And if they make it all the way to the end of the process, it will take nine days. So... It's a really interesting movie um, in the sense that, like, it is sort of totally takes you out of the element, whether you're religious or not, just in the framework of, like, this house in the middle of the desert where Winston Duke lives very reservedly, not like his Black Panther character. He's wearing a sweater vest and glasses, um, very reserved, and he's interviewing all of these candidates for the honor of being alive. And so that kind of commentary on being alive, on grieving, on being afraid of your actions. um, It's just like a really powerful story. It's got like a powerhouse cast. It's got Benedict Wong looking super fucking hot with a British accent. He's awesome. Um, It's got Zazie Beetz, Tony Hale, Bill Skarsgård. Um, a bunch of people, but it's also got some lesser known actors in it that kind of steal the show, I feel like. They do a really good job. Um, I kind of said in my own write-up, shout out to Ariana Ortiz. She's great. Um, And just kind of like this idea of watching life and what is the right or wrong answer to prepare you for for kind of joining in. And it was on a lot of your guys' lists, so I'd be excited to hear what you have to say. But uh, like I said, it was a movie that uh, the friend I went with, we were both pretty quiet for most of the movie. And then when it was over, we were both like kind of devastated, but in a good way. <laughs> I feel like it's the least pretentious movie about existence I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, may that your mileage may vary with that statement. Totally. I, f- I feel like a lot of movies that are like this movie, it's about the meaning of life. You're like, fuck, great. But this movie was like, just like it really. I just feel like it, it, like it was so easy to follow, and I think it's very accessible for how like strange it is. And I think it, it's also a very interesting inverse of like purgatory, where it's like totally not the purgatory after death, but the cue before it or bef- before life, right? And like the the voyeurism that comes with that. I I I really like tremendously love this movie, and I think because of how existential it could have been, it's actually like pretty like grounded and it's like narrative devices and tropes and I, I i really i i really think anyone could watch it and get a lot out of it i think that's its greatest strength for me yeah i got to watch it by myself uh because of the amazing story screen privileges 
And I think if you're going to watch a movie by yourself, uh, Nine Days is a pretty good one to do. Um, because it is a story about interconnectivity, but it's also a story about personal values and kind of like what is going to make you feel wonderful. And I felt on a couple of occasions, like this could have been my nine days, uh, just watching this movie and understanding how these people felt about these experiences that they were experiencing. I thought it was very beautiful, but I also, I kind of hate myself for doing this already. Back to when you were talking about old, how, like, children kind of mimic adulthood until they get to adulthood, and still they're somehow mimicking adulthood, how we're all just kind of, like, faking it until we make it. I feel like both old and nine days really speak to that human condition of, like, you don't really know how you're going to react to a certain thing until you're reacting, and then maybe it was a genuine reaction, maybe it was how you felt like you should have reacted, And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And I like how Nine Days kind of says, like, well, there's not a right or wrong answer to that. Um, However, Will, the Winston Duke character, is kind of put in the terrible position of, like, quantifying, well, what's better? And it really tells you, like, sometimes you don't know what's better. And I think that's important because there are so many different ways to live. And I like that that's yeah. kind of like the end game with Nine Days. It's just a great film. Uh, yeah, this I similar experience as you, Burn. Like I went in and watched uh, Nine Days early before the theater opened all by myself. Uh, great way to watch it. Uh, similarly to just like people coming out of Nine Days just destroyed. Absolutely. <laughs> devastated. Just like devastated. Just completely wet towels of human beings walking out of that theater. <laughs> um, but Nine Days is also like, it was on my list, uh, a, a phenomenal movie. Um, it, it's it's the most uh, religious experience I've had in my entire life as, mm. oppo- as, as far as like what I was raised to believe re- what religion was. Like I went to church up until I was about 10 years old. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't like this. And it's the same stories over and over again. She's like, well, you don't have to go. Um, And movies kind of became my kind of vessel for uh, worship in a way, if you kind of want to say it like that, where it's like I was kind of just like that was the thing that I was in awe of and that was teaching me and guiding me. And we've all heard sometimes theaters are churches. Yeah. You know, it's like our church that we can go to for something like that. But nine days is a movie that is simultaneously all about existence and empathy and life and choices and depression and devastation and happiness. But also it's all about movies. It's all about making movies and performance and uh, all of these things that truly make my heart swirl So when I was watching it, I was just like uh, dumbfounded by all of the things that they were doing to like affect the audience. And again, like Burn, I was the audience. I was the only one in this big theater with this big screen and this really awesome surround sound system. (laughs) And it just like kind of hit me like this wave. And every time those violins start playing, you're just like, I want to start weeping immediately, not out of sadness, but just out of just like, you're just so happy and you don't know why. 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's just like it's it kind of just keeps hitting you, and like like D said too, like that it's you've got a a movie with like Winston Duke and Zazie Beats in it, and then there's just also just this slew of characters that are also just like in it from anywhere between 15 minutes to the entire runtime and they're just so good and so real and you love them so much and watching it a second time with d a few nights ago you're just like this is a great movie like this is it's just very um it's very very good and very very sweet and i agree with everything that everybody said too it's it's remarkable it's a remarkable fantastic movie Mm-hmm. Good movie. Okay. Moving on. Anything else from nine days? That's it for me. Okay. Moving on. Uh, all right. So next up, um, it's me. Uh, my next movie that I wanted to talk about was the movie that I apologize to everybody that I would not shut up about for a very long time uh, from last year. It's The Novice. Um, me and D caught the novice, uh, at, uh, Tribeca last year during their virtual screenings. And it was the one movie that I really walked away from Tribeca being like, oh my God, that's a movie. Like, that's insane. Like Tribeca and like, like, like burn you're, you're blasting through some Sundance movies right now. So like, you're kind of getting that same feeling where it's mm-hmm. like, when you pick a movie to watch, like you kind of don't, there's very rarely any trailers. There's no poster. There's like a still image of like a one sentence, half a sentence synopsis, how long it is and maybe what the genre is. And so you kind of don't know what you're getting into. And I tried to blast through a bunch of movies during Tribeca to like get the money's worth out of it. And the novice was the one that just like blew me away. And I was just like, this is going to be big. This is going to be huge. And then like it didn't get picked up for a little while. And I was like hounding people. And I didn't go into this in my my write up on it uh, on my list because um, it seemed a weird place to put it. But like it's it's like the, the, the internal machinations of like trying to figure out which studio is going to pick up this movie that I really liked at this film festival. Who's going to distribute it? What's going to happen? And nothing was happening for a really long time. And then um, my rep at IFC was just like, we got it. Because I had been talking to everybody about it. And he's like, we got it. And we were able to show it uh, for a week at... Um, story screen beacon theater uh unfathomably because it was released in december right as like spider-man and matrix and tragedy of Macbeth and all these big huge movies were coming out um but the novice is insane it's very good uh i when i first saw it i was kind of describing it as uh whiplash but with like girls rowing instead of drumming um and now that is kind of just like not a good way to describe the movie because i think i think it has so much more going for it than whiplash i think whiplash is a great movie and i think they're both equally awesome movies but to be fair she's the sound editor for whiplash the same sound editor from whiplash edited and sound edited this whole movie. Which is cool, because yeah. the way she uses sound in this movie really contributes to the stress level and what makes it so good. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's 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 just there. There's whereas Whiplash is kind of just like dealing with like a, a, a really bad guy uh, who is just like an asshole, and that's why Miles Teller is perfectly cast. Um, this one is kind of just dealing with like those same kind of feelings of like being obsessed with something and just driving yourself to try and do the absolute best that you can, but it's also injecting into it this idea of young people and primarily younger women being kind of forced to be the absolute best in order to make themselves feel as if they matter. Um, And it's, it's just the rowing is done superbly in the same way that the drumming is done superbly in whiplash. And the acting in all of this is absolutely fantastic. Like one of the characters in the novice is uh, like the, the adversary character is played by, um, Amy Forsyth. Yeah, the, the same. The, yeah, she she also played like the secondary character in another movie called Coda from 2021, uh, which is just like she's just like this powerhouse of just like supporting. She's so likable like, in she's that so, compared yeah, to she's so likable in that in this one. Yeah, um, but it's just a it, it's a phenomenal movie of just like tension and release and different things going on because it's 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 about the rowing it's about this 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 woman's life and it's about it's about her struggles both like in what she's trying to do and what she's trying to be and where she's coming from and what she's what she's going to do uh i absolutely loved it and that was again like a movie that i rewatched uh to try and just figure out where it would land on my list and uh, rewatching it again, it, which was really weird because when I watched the Etre Becca, it didn't have the same like title cards and stuff because it wasn't completely finished. So now it has like these kind of scribbly oh. title cards that kind of lend itself to like the manicness of the movie. Um, but that was like another weird kind of experience in watching it where it was like this was like a movie that I watched not knowing anything about it. And then all of a sudden it won all of these awards at Tribeca and then getting no distribution and then it finally gets picked up and we get to show it and everybody likes it. Everybody that watches it is like, it's a good movie. And I'm like, yay, that's great. It's a, it's a, a a very, very well-made movie. And again, it's one of those things where you get a first time director who makes something as good as this. And you're just like, I cannot wait to see what everybody involved in this gets to do next. Yeah, I just watched it last night, I believe, because it was one of those ones, I think we can all attest to this, that when we get to the end of writing our best of lists, we're trying to crunch as many movies that we hadn't had the opportunity to see yet, and we're wondering, like, what will maybe knock something off my list? Or what what do I think speaks to me more than any of these other ones that I've missed? And so I actually watched The Novice after I had written my list um, because my list was pretty full already and I was already having a hard time choosing what was going to go on it. And so I was like, well, I don't want to complicate things further by like adding The Novice into this. But I will say I have a few uh, things against The Novice. I wish it didn't start off as batshit crazy as it does. Because it kind of really starts at like a 9, and it can only go to a, an 11, and it already starts so insane and hyper 
that I felt like it didn't really have the room to breathe to the end. But also, I think, unfortunately, and this one's on me, that while watching The Novice, it instantly can be comparable to Black Swan. Totally. Which is a big one. And then also, I couldn't help but compare it to the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network, who row crew, who are very wealthy, who don't really need a scholarship, who have just kind of been silver spoon bitches throughout their entire lives. And so that kind of resonated in the film, too. But what I think is most interesting about the film, which really resonated with me personally, was the conversation between who deserves to be the top and is it okay if someone doesn't need it if they're the top? Right. Because I really liked the argument between like someone who needed to be the top because they needed the scholarship to afford school and the argument that like, well, no, it's okay. It's kind of here for anyone. And if someone else is the top, they maybe equally deserve to be the top. I liked that conversation because I feel like more than anything, our culture right now is really arguing with the idea of like, well, who needs to be represented and who also is very good, do they get that same seat at the table? Or should we only be really advocating for people who need the seat at the table? I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. And that's what I really liked about watching The Novice. I think what I really liked about it was that it takes this idea of like, the character of Alex, Isabel Furman, she like embodies all of these traits that we so often see celebrated in male athletes. Like the idea of her personal drive and kind of like obsession with getting this seat on the varsity team is viewed as kind of like being a psycho by her teammates. But in all of these like biopics, like Prefontaine and all these other ones where it's a male athlete, like that idea is something to be celebrated. Whereas this is like seen as like a neuroses where she's kind of picking away at herself at the same time that she's trying to reach this competitive level. And the idea that she doesn't need it financially, she's just putting this pressure on herself is something to like be feared but then at the same time you're like intrigued by it because you're just like why are you doing this but then you're also like you're just gonna do it it doesn't matter like you don't have any way of being talked out of it by your lover your friend your coach whoever like it doesn't matter you're just gonna go for it even if you destroy yourself in the process and that can be sort of like a weird value akin to summit of the gods akin to the alpinist you know like all these other sort of like extreme sport challenges but it's kind of cool to see it in this female point of view and to also see that sort of like weird almost like hokey at times where like the idea where she's using like the sound effects of the ravens and this idea of like female teammates kind of like pecking at each other and like a pecking order and destroying each other and not being a team is really interesting because I feel like you do get that a lot more in female sports. Maybe you get it in male sports too, but just like me being a woman, I'm not that good at a lot of sports. But my like brief experience with playing most sports is that girls will like 
cheer you on, but they'll also talk shit, whether you're good or bad. Like they'll talk about you being bad. And if you're good, they'll talk about how you're still bad and they don't want you to be good. So it's just like a really interesting conversation to have where it's like the pressure of putting it on yourself or the team itself. Yeah. It's just like, and, and all of the crazy sound effects and visuals that the director used for this make it that much more of a panic attack, which is this was a stressful movie for me to watch. <laughs> yeah. I I think that the like the pitch of like it's it's whiplash but a girls rowing team is a really is a really apt way of getting someone in the seat and I think like the broad stroke of it is very accurate. Like like the 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 method of action of what the movie is is that. But I do think you know the the nuances and like what the character motivations are between the two protagonists I thought was very interesting. And I think it's very interesting because the whole time you're watching the novice or like for most of its runtime, you're like, man, she was really like Rowan. And then eventually you're like, oh, she, oh, she, oh no. She just like really likes to have to be the best yeah. <laughs> at this thing. And then when they kind of go into that and, you know, she, she truly will do anything to be the best at this thing because she's so fixated on it. Um, whereas like, you know, in Whiplash, it's, it's a character chasing a dream, you know, something like Whiplash, I, I relate to more than, you know, I don't really try to be good, good at too much anything unless I'm like super into it. If I'm not super into it, I don't want to fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, your life would be so much better if you're like put in the work to be good at this thing. I'm like, if I don't like it, even like seven, if I like it only 50%, I'm just probably not going to do it. I want to. Like, I gotta be at least like 80, 90% in. I feel you. And that's like, that's like one or two things in my entire life. So like, it's, you know, it's hard for me to do stuff. But, uh, yeah, I really like, I, I, I think this movie on like a craft level is like so cool. And like, I, it's always really cool. I think when you see creators come from other facets of filmmaking and see them have like go into directorial, like, it's always cool to see like what, a directorial debut from a long time screenwriter looks like and to see a directorial debut from a long time, like sound editor and sound engineer and like sound person going to this movie. And she also like did sound work on Zack Snyder's justice league. And I feel like on some like aesthetic level, there's, there's some kind of kindredness between the two movies, which I think is so interesting. Like some of the slow-mo and like the really desaturated colors and like, the the laguny blues and greens like that all is like very like snidery at times and like you know i'm not i don't really have too much love for his movies but on an aesthetic level there are times where i really enjoy them and on like a color grading level i can really like speak to some of those movies and even on a sound level i can speak to like the coolest thing about so many superhero movies is sound mixing sound editing and like how they make these things that do not exist on the planet as far as i know be tangible and a lot of that is sold with sound if you look at something like shang chi like the rings feel like they're real not because like you see them do ring stuff is because they sound correct and you know that really sells it so i i do think this movie on a on the craft level is like so ingenious and so like meticulously perfect and it's just like its protagonist is so just fascinating to watch where you're just like oh girl stop like she will and that's it. so cool. It's just like, it's so cool. And it's such like a ride of a movie. It comes out under an hour and a half. No, it's an hour and 34 minutes. My bad. Beautiful. You love it though. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, she's very yeah. like machinist. 
in this acting role. Like, very Christian Bale to me, watching her, like, transform her body into what it needs to be for this character is very cool to watch. Right. Yeah, there's that interesting line where they're just like, yeah, you might not have to be built for this. She's like, fuck off. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, but yeah, it's like, but she literally has to, like, you know, the act of, like, building muscles, like, tearing ligaments and letting them heal. And she's just, like, the entire thing is just being twisted to be this, like, rowing machine, which she is just not to a certain extent designed to do, you know? I, I love that line, too, when she's talking to her friend in the cafeteria and her friend's like, you were the smartest in high school. And she's like, no, I worked the hardest. No. And you're just like, that's, that's where it all comes yeah, from. And, yeah, and it's just like that drive, yeah. whether or not you're naturally good at something. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> uh, Jack, what did you think about the novice? I did not see it, uh, but... Oh. Yeah, this was one of the the few movies I didn't catch from this list, but you're all oh. pitching it very well, so you I've added it to yeah, my man. short list. Yeah, I feel like this is right up your alley for sure. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, somewhat of a spoiler, but also not because I'm not going to say explicitly what happens. But I like that the ending is kind of up for grabs. Um, oh yeah, I for find sure. that very interesting in a film where you you are shown an ending. But you don't know if that ending happened or what that ending means. And I find that very compelling for a film. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. an argument for or yeah. a discussion for another oh, time. I, I, yeah, I don't want to get into spoilers as like how it ends and stuff. But it's there, there's definitely an elusiveness to uh, the intent of uh, certain last actions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that is interesting. I would like to talk to you. Off mic about that. All right. So moving on, um, Jack. Hello. Oh yeah. uh, I hear that you've got yourself a little uh, a little movie that you'd like to talk to us about. (laughs) Yeah, a little movie. Uh, (laughs) What's that? This was uh, this was my favorite movie of the year until The Matrix came out. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is the one that I was I've one of the few I watched twice this year. Uh, It's the the card counter by paul schrader written and directed um yeah i uh i mean you guys know this um when first reform came out uh you guys had hyped it up a lot and by the time i actually saw it i kind of didn't quite hit me the way i really was like hoping that it would and like the way that that movie um like sounded on paper to me sounded so entirely my shit that i was like kind of disappointed in that but in a way probably that i just probably put too much you know um weight on that movie ahead of time the card counter on the other hand um totally like hit for me like it totally like clicked for me in all the right ways um it's a pretty as i I said in my write-up i think it's kind of a mean movie um in some ways it really you know in the same way that um i think Schrader kind of used first reform as a way to kind of like interrogate and think about climate change and people's, you know, response to, to climate change and the way that that affects some people much more than others. And some people think about it a lot more while a lot of people kind of just go about their lives without really considering it. The card counter feels like the same, but for the war crimes that the United States just kind of has been doing since the beginning and continues to do um and it really feels like he is he is you know it's a it's a movie called the card counter but it really besides it seemingly schrader's like 
brief obsession with figuring out poker and like there's there's a, a montage in this or like a you know a scene in this movie where it describes how to count cards that is essentially like ripped entirely from a youtube video like that people have like almost <laughs> word for word um and it's like the 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 poker aspect of it is so secondary to what the movie is really yeah. um about and um it is about in, enhanced interrogation sites that the united states runs and and it's about the the people that are you know in the military that are doing their job um but are you know really forced to perpetuate these crimes um and about the responsibility that they have in those crimes um and the responsibility that people above them have uh, in those crimes and how you know really the 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 punishment is applied very differently depending on on who you are in that situation um without you know trying to excuse anybody for their um their their involvement in those crimes and i think just the way that it is it approaches that subject matter using something like counting cards and like living in a casino like it uses the setting of being in a casino almost in like a prison like intentionally in a prison totally. kind of way. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of movies that have, that deal with like casinos and gambling and, and poker and stuff like that present this kind of like glamorous sort of glitzy look at it. Whereas, you know, I saw it as a criticism in a lot of ways that like so much of this movie looks so flat and so yes. bleak. And like I, all and of that I is so it's intentional. To, for it's, sure. it's entirely yeah. intentional because it's trying to show how desperate and sad a lot of these spaces are. I also yeah. am completely tickled by how much of like the World Federation of Poker's like branding is all over this movie. Um, yeah. And I, I assume that the World Federation of Poker like had some sort of like involvement with the production of the movie and signed off on this stuff. If not, maybe even co-sponsored some of it, but definitely did not know where Paul was going with it. Because... I mean, as someone who <laughs> loves to play poker and loves gambling, like I could see the artistic intent of kind of deglamorizing it. From a person who has studied film and criti- and critiques film, but I could totally also see it's like yeah, it's a poker movie, and it's also got some weird shit that happens too. Like it's like yeah. it's that kind of thing. If you're <laughs> yes. really into poker, like they'd be into that stuff because they they do the poker stuff very well. Like sure. it is kind of like handled and explained in a way that would make someone who loves gambling be like, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. yeah, and I, I mean, I yeah. think that's that's also a testament to like the the acting in this movie, which I think is is um, in its own way, you know, kind of like what you were talking about with Shyamalan, like not very naturalistic. Like there is a um, an an unnatural sort of way that all the characters speak to each other. Um, yeah, um, that is, you know, for me was just very engaging. Um, and and kind of heightened sort of the the sense of of tension there um but i just think like oscar isaac is so he just looks so fucking cool in this movie (laughs) that's great um and uh i love tiffany haddish tiffany haddish is also great because she's so just such like a cornball for like most of her lines but like in the way that i think is probably pretty true to a lot of the people who would do her role in some kind of thing like that. You know, it is, it's, it's de-glamorizing it, but at the same time that it is this very harsh, um, movie about those very nasty subjects. 
it also is, I thought a really sweet love story between the two. And like, you know, the dynamic of Oscar Isaac's character punishing himself in a lot of ways for what he has done. He gets this glimpse, um, through Tiffany Haddish's character and, um, I'm forgetting the name of the other actor. Oh, Ty Sheridan? Ty Sheridan, yeah. Yeah. Um, Who is this insolent little prick? Um, uh, He sees this kind of... The Keegan of the movie. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, if there was was an anamorph spectrum and it was Miles Teller turning turning into Barry Kogan, this kid would be... He would be... He's the middle of Fuck yeah, Robbie. plus. Well done. Definitely, definitely. But I think in those those other characters, he kind of sees this escape... Um, from this cycle of punishment that he has put upon himself um, and sort of this like this glimmer of maybe some sort of redemption and maybe some sort of happiness and better life for himself. Um, Not in winning a bunch of poker games, but in like finding genuine connection uh, with with other people. And, And like, I think that that kind of like balances out like the, the, the harsh meanness of the movie um, and gives it like a, a, an emotional core that all of it just like really resonated with me. Yeah. Like if, if he can figure out how to fix every game, he can figure out how to fix himself. Or at least Ty Sheridan's character. I don't know. If or he's like, that, that's, it's, I don't it's feel like he's trying, trying to fix, fix Ty Sheridan's character. Yeah. He, he knows that he can't. Uh, that he's kind of beyond redemption or beyond fixing. Yeah. He's kind of like focusing in on this um, Barry Keegan kid as like, this is <laughs> what I can do. I can, I can at least try and make this kid's future better. And <laughs> no spoilers. I mean, I, I think, I think it, it, it shows with that character, how, this thing just ruins people's lives um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, but in, in, in his uh, specific case, Ty Sheridan's specific case, it's just something he can't let go of, um, you know, in the same way that, that Oscar Isaac's character kind of can't let go and forgive himself. So, yeah. So I guess it's more like instead of fixing games, it's more like if he can read people's souls, maybe he'd be able to figure out his own kind of thing. Like that's maybe his own internal thing that he's going for. But I think the main crux of the movie is that he's, 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 you know, trying to help out the killing of the sacred deer kid. Um, to, to become. I think you're confused. I think we've, 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 we've got our, our wires crossed here somewhere. Yeah. I don't, I feel, yeah, I really feel like much. he's not trying to fix himself. Like, I feel no. like he's distracting like, himself. Not, not fixed, yeah, but like I trying feel to like figure it, himself out a no, little bit. No, I don't even, I don't even agree with that. I, I feel like he's done. Whole, yeah, exactly. I agree with Byrne. I feel like the duration of the movie is like he's biding his time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. the fact that he's just, he's content with going to casino to casino. He, doesn't like any change to his routine. So the Ty Sheridan character is initially an upset to his routine, but then he becomes interested in trying to help this kid out because of his own guilt and because of his shakeup with seeing, you know, Willem Dafoe's character. But I don't think till then that he really cares. Like he's just like, yeah, yeah. I think he's, time... he's trapped himself in that loop, basically, yeah. and he's he's satisfied, or at least 
I don't know, content enough to just stay in that loop. And it's right. the introduction of, of Ty Sheridan's character that kind of wakes him up in a way to say, like, maybe this is something that I can give back to. Like the idea that he was okay in prison and this has just yes. become his new prison being in the casinos. He's like, actually, I did pretty well in prison. Uh, and yeah. then now that he's out, he's got to find a new routine for himself. It's self-imposed. And that's yeah. specifically why he, you know, he can win all this money. He's totally capable of it. But he just maintains just to kind of fly under the radar and, and stick where he is. Yeah, I love what you said, Jack, too, about uh, space. Being how how space is used mm-hmm. throughout the movie, like how they shoot uh, uh, all the casinos, how they shoot the prison, how they shoot um, the prison, prison the that prison, we get prison. to see it. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't thought about how all that connected to each other until you even just brought it up right there, and that makes me like it a lot more. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good movie. Yeah, Bern, I think you were trying to say something. Uh, oh, oh, well, I was going to mention earlier that, yeah, I think uh, he makes a comment saying he doesn't stay in the casino hotels because there are cameras and he doesn't want to be seen. Right. So I think like the whole purpose is to just exist. He doesn't really want to commit suicide. We don't really get into like his ideology of what that would mean for him as a person. But it seems like he doesn't really want to off himself, but he thinks he's deserving of punishment, whether that be losing games or being in prison and getting beat up. Totally. Um, yeah. This film, I will say, was like my beanpole of the year because we talked about beanpole last year. Ooh. And that film was really hard to watch. Yeah. And watching The Card Counter, when I worked at the theater, a couple different times we had people leave. Um, and I didn't quite know why until I'd watched this film. And as I was watching it with Heath, kind of like watching it in the background, after the first scene where you see the prison, um, he was like, oh, I wasn't paying attention. Was that Abu Ghraib? And I was like, I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't know what those words are. And he was like, was this this? And I said, I don't know. The film hasn't told me that yet. And I don't really know what you're talking about. Because I had heard of torture prisons but that uh, the main photos were revealed in 2004, mm-hmm. and I'll date myself again. I graduated high school in 2007, and so growing up in like rural Indiana, when that broke, my mom didn't tell me about that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in like the news source enough to understand what that was. Teachers weren't teaching that in schools. Um, I feel like there was a big cover up if you totally. were of a certain age and you didn't understand just how terrible all of that was. I knew the war on terror was going poorly. I knew the U.S. military were doing terrible things. But it's just really disheartening to watch a movie and then realize, like, oh, people are leaving because they're not ready to reckon with how terrible the U.S. military is. And Paul Schrader was forcing people to try to reckon with this. Yeah, And I'm married to someone in the military. Right. And I know about SEER training, where soldiers are trained by being kidnapped to be able to withstand like war terrorists and torture tactics and the fact that this still exists the fact that it happened back then i just feel like as a country we're so we pump the brakes on trying to reckon with the terrible things we've done and this film is just like a complete confrontation 
of these terrible tactics. And yet, going watching this film, then going down the rabbit hole of like what exactly happened and how it was publicized and how the first couple people who tried to break this news were silenced, essentially, totally. is so, so frustrating. It just made me feel even worse about us as a country when this happened back in 2004. And I love that Paul Schrader decided, like, I'm going to make a movie about that and and make you fuckers deal with how terrible things are. And yeah, it it's just, it's a very powerful movie. It didn't make my list because I didn't watch it until uh, after my list was written. I don't know if it would have made it, but it definitely affected me in a way that I'm going to be thinking about it for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I, it's, uh, I mean, if you go back and watch the trailer for this movie, uh, there is, they do not show their hand that this is a movie no. about having crave. Yeah. They don't, they don't go, show their hand, do they, Jack? They do not. <laughs> no. They have a pretty good poker face. Gambling, eh? um, <laughs> And it's it's bonkers that like I I'm not surprised that people walked out of this movie because they went in probably expecting a movie about counting cards uh, like that movie Twenty One that came out you oh. know in uh, the 2010s and then they get starring a, Teen Heartthrob Kevin Spacey Twenty One yeah, sure yeah, yeah that's the one and Lawrence Fishburne um, <laughs> and then they get a movie about torture prisons and it's to me it's just like no one's doing that really besides paul schrader like no one's putting Mm -hmm. american audiences noses in the shit that that america chooses largely to not reckon with like that and that's and bless and forks i mean that that was like first reformed was all places like this this is a movie about a priest oh trying to reckon with his religion and his faith and then you go in there and they're like by the way, also climate change is real, you fucks, and yeah. it's driving people crazy. And it's like it's the same thing. It's like he's 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 he is like punking like audiences like everywhere. Yeah. But in the way that I think a lot of audiences, modern audiences, are probably relatively keen to the idea that climate change is real. You know, like that's maybe not as sure. for me that wasn't as profound as like the United States repeatedly perpetuates its war crimes we do it all the time it's kind of like our thing um and then the extra little cherry on top is uh obama putting it on his favorite movies of of uh, 2021 list that is uh an interesting choice (laughs) we also gotta think like the uh, people that are going to see like the priest dealing with this faith thing starring ethan hawk everybody's favorite thing from the 90s they're just they're probably not expecting climate change. Sure. Maybe like, not. Like, they're yeah. like, wait, 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 that kind of thing. And that's like Paul Schrader's that seems to be like his new thing where he's like, how do I get a certain type of person into the theater uh-huh. with like the oeuvre of what a movie is? And then I'm going to put in this thing. <laughs> Also, I'm excited, also, to, I'm excited wait to, to see what he does I next. Can't, yeah, I cannot wait to see what he does next. I, I hate to say this, though, too, that the depiction of those scenes in the prison are some of the, like, coolest, most metal scenes I've seen in a movie. Hell in yeah. Time. Like, the I way mean, they depicted yeah. it yeah. Yeah. was incredible. Yeah. I wish that they stayed first person the whole time. Because there's, like, the first one that they do the flashback to, and it's, like, in the in the POV, and I and I... 
really liked it because it made me just feel so grossed out and terrible. But then I think in the other ones, yeah. you, you see Oscar Isaac in it, which is like it's still effective at what he needed to do. But I I really like the the jarring perspective, the the real rubbing your nose in it when you're like kind of face to face with what's going. It's you know torture VR and like that. I was just like, this is so fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, they do need to. Sh- they need, yeah. you need to see him there though. At the same time. Yeah. To, to, I think I think you're right. Narratively, you need to to know it is him confirmed. Yeah. It's that. yeah. Have him do that thumbs up smile photo ah! that we all know like that's yeah. what really yeah. kind of yeah. drives home like oh this is what is being talked about right here like this is what this guy is yep he wasn't yeah. just passively like oh okay no i won't say anything like no he was actively involved in it yeah it was pretty terrifying to be like just on wikipedia trying to figure out like which person that that character was most likely based off of and then also finding like, oh, that that person is still irredeemable. So like watching the Oscar Isaac character and just like realizing like, oh, I kind of grew to like him. And then also just feeling terrible about kind of growing to like him because, mm. you know, the person he's most likely based off of is awful. So at this, well, that character doesn't like yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. At the same time, he very much the character is not willing to forgive himself or mm-hmm. or put the blame on someone else and and him saying that to ty sheridan's character is a huge part of that right well now that we've talked about how much oscar isaac is a bad man robbie he's so handsome uh for our last movie to talk about on the podcast i think there's a little oscar isaac in there too isn't there it's a little bit. There is a little, a little Oscar eyes again. Come okay. to daddy. Uh, Not enough. Different we're, desert power. We're talking about a, a movie that is that is uh, from directed by a sweet, 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 sweet man, Denis Villeneuve, mm. who we love very much. Uh, a movie that is two hundred percent my shit. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about Dune. The coolest movie of the year. I won't hear otherwise. Part one. I will not, I will not hear. Uh, part, yeah. Dune part, colon part one spelled out. <laughs> Which is fine, but I do think it's a little funny the way they, they really don't tell you that until your ass is in the scene. You're like, you're in the chair. Yeah, and then they're like, this is actually the it's first time. It's still not on like me. IMDb and Wikipedia. It's still just called no, Dune. No, I'm looking I'm at like, it right now. It's still guys, just Dune. Guys, so guys. Which is, which is fine. I mean, now that I've seen the uh, David Lynch Dune and see how they did fit the whole thing in there, I'm like, yeah, you might want to put that bad boy that bad boy up. Uh, even though I do like that movie. But yeah, uh, we're here. We're going to talk about Dune. Uh, I feel like I've talked about Dune a lot now because we did it for the Sweet Sweet Denis cast and we did it for Hot Takes. But um, I'll talk about it again. Uh, Dune is so fucking cool. Uh, in my write-up for it, I, I kind of have been obsessed with this idea that it's the new Lord of the Rings. And the reason that I... And, and you know, I say that with the caveat of, like, you don't know something's the new thing until it's, like, kind of 20 years later and the post-mortem has begun. We're still, like, kind of in it. But the things that remind me of Lord of the Rings is that it's adapted from a text that has been heralded as, like, you cannot make this into a movie. And Lord of the Rings famously... For many, many years, people were like, you cannot make this into a movie. And people tried, and you could not. And then eventually, Peter Jackson kind of cracked the code on it, and he made some of the best movies of all time. And in re-watching Lord of the Rings very recently, 
one of the things I really found remarkable about it was its slew of proper nouns and how obtuse it was. And I'm like, it's crazy that so many people – I love this movie. And it's crazy that so many people love this movie from like general audiences to people who love the books and kind of everything in between. They call Gandalf like fucking seven different names yeah. throughout the whole trilogy. <laughs> There's so many just just names and histories and just insanity happening. And it's just like such a dense – film but it's like broad strokes really speak louder than anything else and it's like it's memorable moments are the things that will stick with you for forever and i feel like dune is gonna get there you know what part we can i can't give it all that lord of the rings bag is just yet but the things that really remind me is like dune you know is a text that has inspired so many movies now you know we wouldn't have star wars without dune even in in the in the boba fett show they talk about spice trading and things like that that's all from dune that's all inspired from dune and dune is just like you know it's such a weird fucking movie they have all this space stuff and then characters named jessica and it's like i don't fucking know <laughs> what the fuck do you mean it's so it's so crazy um, there's no movie that has cooler aesthetics than Dune that's ever been created, except for maybe Blade Runner 2049, but it's a toss-up in my mm. book. Um, but yeah, I think Dune is just, like, tremendously, tremendously cool. I want to just know everything about that world. I'm so excited for the next one. Um, and yeah, I, I just, like, I, I've watched it twice. It's just, it's one of those movies that it's, like, it's an epic blockbuster that, like, that was another pretty fun week on Twitter where people were like, we love Dune. It's like, everyone really likes Dune. Everybody loves that That's one. crazy. Because, like, you know, it's also, it was, like, so, uh, you know, it got delayed. It was so hyped up. It's weird. It's like a long and music really, video. <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of hit, you know. And, uh, yeah, so that's my that's my opening statements on Dune. I think Dune. Your, your comparison to Lord of, Lord of the Rings really nails it. Because, like, Dune is such an indecipherable text and that lore is like so so dense and so complicated mm. and it goes in so many crazy directions but i really think like villeneuve really pulled off like making it accessible and like presenting it in a way that yeah. like you can digest what's going on because like especially that david lynch dune that is sh- fucking nonsense. That movie, like he opens that. Well, he movie, doesn't try he to make it that, more I mean, understandable. It is David Lynch, but he he opens that yeah. movie with just like a fucking monologue of a woman talking directly yeah. into the screen of just Virginia complete Madsen. nonsense. But like this yeah. Dune manages to slow it down, and and I think you're right that like definitely the right choice to make multiple movies. Pretty bold to just call it Dune and then. Once you're in the seat, you see the title card that says Dune Part One. That got a that yeah. got, a, got a hearty laugh out of me. Um, <laughs> I've told this story, I think, on on other episodes, but like you know, Claire crammed the whole book before, and she and she was like stressing That's out intense. the That's days long. leading up to it. She's just and well, she spent like a decent amount of time reading it, but then it got to be like crunch time. She's like, there's still like an insane amount of time. Like, I, and she's like, the, like three days leading up to it, she's like crushing this, was crushing this book, and then we get to the end of the movie, and she's like. Where's the rest? And I was like, yo, babe, we've been here for three hours. <laughs> like, it's, it, we're done. Like, we gotta go. And I just, but it's like, it is crazy that it's, it is part one. And I feel like a lot of, you know, I didn't give a fuck. I'm like, yeah, I, I'll, I'll see another one. But I could see how people who are diehard fans of the book, which there are plenty, could, could feel a bit like left astray by, by the way they kind of marketed it and then put it out. Like, but I also I don't 
think that they knew they were going to get another one. I don't think it was a surefire thing that they were getting another one until this one released. And luckily it released to like a lot of fanfare. I think it made a lot of money despite its hybrid release. Um, and I, I really want it on vinyl and you can't, you can't, get it. <laughs> you can't, it's impossible to find. So I was yeah. very relieved. It was probably the most relieved I was to, to see a movie do well this year was Dune. Yeah. And it did do well. That yeah, that made me very happy to see how well that movie did. And that was it was like three days it, later. They're yeah, like, that they're was a very it. tense like, weekend of like, please make another one of these. Please make another one of these. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please. <laughs> so I just recently watched the documentary "Meet Me in the Bathroom," and it is based off of a book that was also by the same name, "Meet Me in the Bathroom," about bands coming up in New York City in the early two thousands, and. The movie itself was so much shorter than what I had anticipated uh, going into watching the documentary. And they answered the question. I had asked a question about what they had chosen to include and what they had chosen to exclude. And uh, they weren't answering me per se, but it was about the filmmaking aspect of what to include in that film. And the, the people were saying... Some people just know what's going to play better on screen than in the text. Hmm. And I think not too many filmmakers can wear that crown of really understanding what's going to play better on screen than in a book. And I think Denny just gets it. He just understands, like, this is the text and the text is important and should be always in our minds as we're making this into the film. However, he also understands what is going to play in this different medium. And I feel like he is just like on the top of his game with understanding it. He made a lot of change, like, you know, because I'm so, you know, co-intimately familiar with the actual (laughs) book through Claire. But, you know, we we talked about it a lot because she loved the movie and she would tell me about the things that they changed from, like, characters' genders to different roles and things like that. And And it all does seem to be in service of the medium, which you it's so refreshing to see in adaptation because, like, sometimes, like, you don't get you don't get the good like what you're describing is like that solid trade from, like what do you lose in the text to bring it to the movie? Or like, how do you like, I think the better answer is like, what do you transform from the text right. to better suit the film's needs? And I feel like Dune just like constantly makes the right choice. And I, and I think a lot of that is sold by just seeing any interview with Denis talking about the movie. Cause he's so just like, I'm the biggest fan yeah. of this book. So I had to, I had to please myself, you know? And, and you're like, yeah, I believe you. <laughs> like You seem like you fuck with this shit. So good. Um, yeah. Like I, I feel like it's, you know, we live in the bad timeline in so many ways, but we live in one of the good timelines where, like, Denis Villeneuve directed Dune. <laughs> so it's like, well, at least we got that going And he us. gets to do it again. Right. And yeah. he gets to do it again. Yeah, so it's just like, all right. So there's some other realities where, you know, that didn't happen. You take your wins where you all can right. get them. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know Heath is reading Dune right now, and I'm going to read Dune once he's done. And yeah, Heath will heavily argue that Denny is telling the story better than Frank Herbert, which is crazy to say. Yeah, I believe it. But yeah, just... I bet Peter Jackson told... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I tried reading that Dune book, and I, I'm inclined to agree. It's, uh, kind of, we'll, try. we'll try. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, Dune itself, like, as a whole, when it comes to, like, cinematography and 
the DPs that are involved and the costume design and the sound. Yeah, it's just arguably like a perfect film. Like he's nailing it. I mean, he is showing us that he is the go-to director for something that's going to be of this scope. And yeah, I also think, you know, for for sci-fi, it feels so unique, right? It doesn't feel like any sci-fi Mm-mm. visually I've seen before. And I think that's, like, so interesting. I mean, you, you get some, like, um, things that you see in the Lynch movie that kind of, like, have carried over into this aesthetically, you know? Like, I think if there's anything the Lynch movie does well is that, like, there are moments that it looks really cool. The production it's, design it's is awesome. It's a little few and far between. It's cool. Like, it's that movie is really cool. Much like... You know, Flash Gordon looks fucking sick. Like, that movie still looks really cool. It's a little goofy, but, like, it looks cool. And I feel like that's, like, one of, I think, the hardest things to do in any modern storytelling. It's a miracle you get anything that's not too derivative, you know? And I think this movie, like, really, like, aesthetically, on just an aesthetic, like, art level, like, it do- it feels very inspired. Like, you can you can trace it back to other art that maybe have influenced it. I follow a lot of like retro sci-fi accounts on Instagram and I'm always like tweeting that shit, but it just, it feels so like inspired by those things and it feels so unique, you know, like the most, the most like close analog I can even think of is Blade Runner. Blade Runner is so based in our reality in the future, whereas this is, it's, you know, it's like Star Wars where it's like otherworldly, but Star Wars is all about being like, it's, it's so far flung in the future that it's like grungy again. It's like dirty, like Star Wars is very dirty like sci-fi universe fantasy sci-fi universe where june is fantasy sci-fi but it feels like it truly feels otherworldly at times you know like it, it doesn't quite feel based in reality and i think that's like such a hard thing to strike and the dragonfly ships come on some good there's come some on. good big, big ass spaceships in that movie that's real big the big tube that they the big through. make a big wah sound i like that yeah i like <laughs> i love that that's just so cool the houses are cool. Castles, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mike, do you have any thoughts about Dune? Oh, Jack, I'm so glad you asked. Um, <clears throat> I love Dune. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. We recorded a whole episode on it, so... Good. Go listen to that. That's true. Dune's yeah. great. Denis Villeneuve is a, a sweet, sweet boy. And um, Dune's <laughs> ridiculously awesome. It's uh, I When I sat down to watch it, I didn't think that it would be as good as it was. I Same. thought it would be good. It's a Denis Villeneuve movie. I was like, it'll be good. And it's great. It's a great yeah. goddamn movie. And I was really surprised that... Uh, all of the internet people that live on my phone also really liked it. It's uh, nice when that happens. Because they usually tend to not like things. I don't know about other internet people on other people's phones, uh, but my internet yeah, people on my phone... Judgy. They're, they're a little... <laughs> they, yeah. they, they're, they're hard to please. Mm. Hard to please. Um, so I was uh, much in the same way of like... Um, uh, this is the beach that makes you old, and um, the Matrix Resurrections kind of coming out. I was like, I was just really surprised that everybody was kind of talking about this thing 
at the same time. And I saw some negative stuff about Dune, but like even the negative stuff, they were just kind of like still looks cool. Like, you know, like even if like they thought it was boring and stuff, they were like, looks great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it fucking does. Yeah, it fucking does. I feel like like the only criticism that I saw kind of like stand on its own is people be like, oh, it's only part one. It's just like, yeah, that's, it's a little, it's like, there's nothing wrong with it being a part one. It's just that the messaging of it is is weird. It's just weird. It's like, I'm not saying it's like all that bad and like ruins anything. I'm just like, it's a little weird that you guys did it well, like I mean, that. That's, I don't know. that's like, what that part one does at the very beginning. It's, I agree. It's weird that they marketed it just as, yeah. Dune, but like you need that part one at the beginning so that when it ends, and people are like, "What the fuck?" They can be like, "Well, it's part one. It's not just Dune." What? The? And then we're gonna do Dune two. This yeah. is part. It is funny one. to imagine the people like thinking that in this theater viewing they're like we're waiting for this part two uh thing to pop up for like two and yeah, a half when's, hours when's the second chapter what's going on here yeah. dune colon yeah, what's part going on? one yeah. spelled out and <laughs> i mean if a movie's biggest criticism is that you want more of it that's not such a bad thing not bad pretty good. Pretty good. yeah i had uh i had three parts in my in my uh top list this year because yes, i had did. souvenir no colon part two roman numeral i had as we all know dune colon part one spelled out and then i also had a quiet place mm-hmm. no colon part two roman numeral two and then evangelion so 3.0 plus one. <laughs> oh, that well no that wasn't yours that was on mine no. <laughs> Evangelion three point oh plus one point oh thrice upon a time. Yep, right. I know. Uh, yeah. Colon thrice upon a time. No, it's actually not colon. That's a that's a that's a people common misconception. Is common that... misconception. It's a uh, it's a subtitle. It's uh, in slightly I I smaller right font than... below. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, a smaller I corrected Joker it on your list. Below. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that. Uh, Dune colon part one all spelled out was my number two on my list. Mm. However, it's been a crazy good year for Timothée Chalamet, and it was my least favorite performance from him uh, of that year. I really, really loved him in The French Dispatch. I liked him in Don't Look Up, and I really loved him in Don't Look Up. And I—he's the best part of that movie. (laughs) And I think that Dune Part One is his less uh, lesser known and lesser, uh, I think, respected performance on my end. But I also think it's great. He's just had a great year. It was fun to watch him. His now would be Charlie in the chocolate. His hair had a great Willy Wonka. You mean Willy Wonka? Yeah. Oh, my bad. I uh, I forgot. Michael Jackson. No, he's in the chocolate factory. I don't fucking get it. What are we talking? He's in the chocolate factory. Is he not Charlie? He's Willie. Uh, he's Willie. <laughs> Willie. He's who's fact? Who's factory? It's Willie's factory. Willy it's his factory. What the fuck? It's Charlie. He's in the chocolate yeah. factory, guys. I'm ready we'll for get that. there. We'll get there. What the fuck? You? What the fuck? Are you talking about? 
Uh, does anybody else have anything to say about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? No. Oh, too many things. Please don't. Too many. Don't get me started. Oh. That Gene Wilder walk is pretty epic. And the Johnny Depp version, like with like the carousel and stuff like that. That's pretty wild. What's the song, I think, Bernadette? I think they're what's the both song? great films. Bernadette, what's the song films. that they're Let's singing? Let's not get into this. No. Come on, Bernadette. What's no. the song? What is it? No. I don't no? I don't know okay. what you're asking. All right, about never me. mind. No, no, never mind. I, I I saw your cue. You you held up a stop sign. I got you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. A five star rating on Apple Podcasts really does a lot for us. That'd be great. And uh Bernadette, Diana, Robbie, Jack, thank you guys so much for joining me to talk about all of these movies. And it looks like our recording time is at about three hours and 15 minutes. I told you. I told you. 90 minutes. Time for bed. (laughs) 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. There we are. We got a couple breaks in there that we'll we'll work in, Mm -hmm. but it'll be okay. Um, It's probably... But uh, again, um, like I said at the top of this before we started recording, this is like one of my favorite things to do. And I think one of like the... The funnest things that have come out of this gigantic, weird website that we've built and that we're doing. Uh, And uh, I hope you guys had as much fun as I did. Thanks for having us. I did. Everyone's everyone's nodding. (laughs) Yes. And I hope that you, dear listener, also had a lot of fun. Uh, remember to check out all of our best of lists that are all already up on storyscreenbeacon.com. You can check them on out. We've got uh, eight, ten. eight lists. Ten. Ten lists, right? Yeah, because it's five days. We have ten lists up there ranging from top tens to top twenties and who knows what beyond and so much more. And uh, remember, we, uh, we also have uh, way more podcasts on this podcast. Catho Raycast, Hot Takes, Overdrinkers, a slew of others, our exclusive content, uh, which I tossed up at the beginning. Five bucks a month over on storyscreenbeacon.com. You can check out uh, me and uh, Bernadette are finishing up the Colette stuff. And me and Robbie are just venturing out into the sweet, sweet Denis cast where we're covering all the films of uh, Denis Villeneuve. And... um, loads of other cool stuff so uh thanks again this has been long enough and we'll see you later bye bye bye